back to Excited, episode 184. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooleman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fooleman? I am not too bad. How about you? I'm doing all right. It's uh, It's been a busy time, as usual. Uh, enjoying the last little remnants of summer before we descend into a wintry hellscape for the next six to eight months. Yes, I'm excited for that. And of course, the only thing that can light those dark months is the National Hockey League. Mm. which we're halfway through surveying what a segue oh yeah flawless i'm getting so 184 episodes in you can tell we finally hit our stride (laughs) it's smooth like butter right now Mm. so yeah as you will know if you listen to the previous episode we're surveying every team in the nhl except the leafs we covered the leafs the episode before last uh and we're looking at what they've done in the course of the off season to try and update our mental image of what this team is and what it does and who plays for them. And every year when we do this, some team that we talked about in the first segment does some big thing after we've recorded, and then we have to talk about it at the start of the second segment. Uh, This year, that was Calgary. And so we are going to briefly jump back in time and discuss the Calgary Flames signing Nazan Kadri. Some other stuff did also happen with teams earlier in the list, like, say, Paul Stastny going to Carolina. We decided it wasn't worth revising those smaller moves. So we're just going to do this one and then get rolling. Um, so the Calgary Flames signed Nazan Kadri for seven years at seven million. Um, to facilitate this, they also traded forward Sean Monaghan, who had one year left at 6.375. And a 2025 conditional first. The first is conditioned an absolutely absurd number of ways to the point where we're not going to bother detailing it because it would put you to sleep and probably me to sleep. But the point is that it uses the conditional first Calgary got for Kachuk and lesser picks to try and sort of balance the risk at both ends. Um, The Flames are unlikely to give up anything too high in the first round, but the Habs are also more likely to get something in kind of the mid-range, depending on how things shake out. Um, I have to say I admire Calgary going all in the way that they're clearly doing. So signing right. Nazem Kadri is, is huge for that. Yeah, yeah, Kadri is um, a very good player. I mean, we, you know, this is a podcast whose listeners have most likely seen the vast majority of Nazem Kadri's career. He is an excellent player. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he worth this contract? Probably not. Um, it's arguable he's worth it right now. I mean, certainly he was worth it last year, but last year was kind of an absurd high watermark for him. Um, But nonetheless, he is a very good player. He's going to make Calgary a better team. Mm -hmm. Do I want any part of that contract in the last, like, three years, four years? God, no. But that's also true of Jonathan Huberto's contract. And at this point, it might also be true of the contract that Calgary is going to try and sign Mackenzie Weger to. By the way, if I'm Mackenzie Weger's agent, I am thrilled. Yeah, because it's like, like what, it's like, what are you gonna do? Like, you're you're gonna rebuild? Like, get out of here. Pay pay me, you know. Yes, this was doubling down effectively on the present tense bet that they made when they dealt Matthew Kachuk for Jonathan Huberdeau and Mackenzie Weger, and basically said, "We are going to be present oriented. We're gonna get wins now." Um, as such, I kind of like it that way. No point being half pregnant, you know. Like, try and commit to your strategy. Yeah, I mean, there's there's like a, a vision here. There's like a cohesive plan of like, you know, damn the torpedoes. We are we are going to be good this year and it, we might suck a few years from now, but that's a risk I am willing to take on behalf of the person who replaces me. 
and then it'll be his problem. So, I think that this is certainly consistent, is the biggest thing you can say. Kadri mm-hmm. uh, improves them at center, markedly. Um, he is coming off a huge year, as everybody knows. Set a career high in points with 87, smashing his previous high of 61, although in the half season in 2013, uh, he had a pretty high point rate. Um, Kadri is about to turn 32, first week of October. And so, how long will he sustain this? I don't know. The fact that he set a career high on a superstar caliber team at age 31, I mean, I think anyone clear-eyed is thinking that his last season is probably going to be his career high forever. But he's still very good. And at least in the first couple of seasons, he should do wonders for Calgary. I think they've put themselves back into the the contending tier with these moves. I don't think they were quite there after they um, they unloaded Kachuk and and uh, lost Johnny Gaudreau and then got back Huberto and uh, Uyghur. This kind of puts them back there in my estimation. Yeah, it, it, it helps a lot, right? Their, their center depth is quite strong now. I think they basically have the best center depth you could have without having a top five center basically, or Mm. or even a top 10 center. Yeah, like, no one's a real superstar, but, like, lots of very good players on Calgary. And that applies on defense, too. Like, this is maybe the deepest team in the NHL, I think you can argue. Calgary's gonna... Like, if if they play their cards right, they will spend very little time playing bad players this season. And that can go a long way. Yes. Um, Yeah, so... Broadly in favor, just you have to recognize when the bill comes due on this, it's probably going to be pretty hefty. And And that's actually sort of going to be a theme throughout these teams. The teams that we're focusing on this week are, you know, they kind of run the range from current contenders who are going all in Mm -hmm. to contenders who are trying to, or pseudo contenders who want to recapture former glory. Or a team that is already paying the price for being a contender for a long time, which is San Jose, which we'll, we'll get to. Yes. Um, so, like, this is this is just part of the life cycle of an NHL team. Yeah. So, by all means, good on them. Get a tough, all-around good center. Add to your team that is clearly trying to win the Stanley Cup next season. Um, just from the Habs' perspective, this obviously makes a lot of sense. They took on Sean Monaghan, who is coming off... Uh, a very difficult season that ended in him being shut down for surgery. He struggled with injuries the last few years that have made it easy to forget that he used to be a better than point per game player. Um, he peaked at 82 points and he's cleared 30 goals twice. Those seasons are long in the rearview mirror. But if he rehabs a little bit, he probably becomes tradable at the deadline, in which case Montreal gets another asset. So certainly from their perspective, this is good. To facilitate taking on Monaghan's salary, they're probably going to LTIR carry Price. It seems possible Price is not going to play again. We're not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, this this whole string of transactions makes sense for both teams in the context of where they are. The Flames really want to win now, and the Habs really don't care about winning now, and they care about the future. So, Pierre LeBron boys, much. good deal for both teams. Okay. Credit to both GMs. They grinded hard on this deal. <laughs> I'm sure they did, because uh, 
wow, Kadri took a long time to sign. I, mm. I wonder what was happening there. And we will talk about one of the teams that seemed to quite prominently miss out on him. But first, yeah. the Nashville Predators. Departures. Defender Philippe Myers traded to Tampa Bay. I will discuss him in trades. Forward Luke Kunin traded to San Jose. I will also discuss him in trades. Uh, goalie David Riddich, you may remember from a brief cameo with Toronto a year back. Uh, he's UFA to Winnipeg. So trades. The Nashville Predators acquired defender Ryan McDonough, who has four years at 6.75 remaining from Tampa Bay, for defender Philippe Myers and forward Grant Mismash. This is a cap dump for Tampa Sorry, Bay. I just realized that's actually his name. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> this is a cap dump for Tampa Bay. And it's almost a UFA signing for Nashville. Um, Ryan McDonough remains a strong defensive defender who can play tough minutes and swim in them. He was Tampa Bay's leading penalty killer last year. He's also 33. Uh, Tampa Bay was trying to resolve its cap situation and clearly lost this trade on immediate talent. But there's downside risk here in droves for Nashville. Right. I, I think we'll talk about this more from the Tampa perspective. Um, but from the Nashville perspective, it's like, you know, I mean, Tampa's trying to get rid of this good player f- for nothing or as close to nothing as possible. The reason that that's the case is because, well, he's a good player now, but is he going to be a good player in, you know, three, four more years? And the answer is probably not just because he's 33 and he's a tough, rugged defenseman and, and you know, just the odds of any player being useful at 35, 36, 37 is not that high. Right. So Nashville is definitely thinking about now in doing mm-hmm. this, whereas Tampa Bay is setting themselves up better. Now, Tampa Bay also had to do it in the present tense because they're always capped out to hell. But, yeah, it's it's defensible from Nashville's perspective because they got a good player. Um, they also don't need McDonough to be their 1D per se. They have Roman Yossi and Matthias Ekholm although both of those guys are left defensemen, I kind of wonder if they'll do what Tampa Bay did, where they have three pairings, where the stronger party is on the left each time, but then they give extra minutes so that those three guys end up leading them a nice time, even though they're supposedly first, second, and third pairings. It would make sense. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Mm -hmm. Um, Ekholm took harder minutes than Roman Yossi last season, which helped free up Yossi do have an absolutely insane offensive defenseman season. He had 96 points, which is kind of bonkers. Um, it also kind of speaks to how good Kale McCarr is. That I, I know we we say we often say we don't care about defender points, but like Yossi's legitimately amazing offensively, mm-hmm. and it speaks to how good Kale McCarr is. That like Yossi has this bonkers season. Everyone's like, yeah, that that's cute, Roman. We're giving the Norris to Kale. <laughs> yeah. You are very good, and you try very hard. I believe that that was the response that he got when he tried to go to his neighbor Taylor Swift's house party, and they yeah. didn't let him in. Um, <laughs> Myers, who went back to Tampa Bay in that deal, is tall, but he's a 7D type. He played for the Marlies on loan this year, actually. Uh, he's quite good in the AHL. NHL expectations for him should be modest, even though we give Tampa a lot of credit. Um... Grant Mismash is 23, and his AHL production suggests he has no NHL future. Sorry. Um, They also, this is from Nashville's perspective, acquired AHL winger John Leonard and a 2023 third from San Jose for forward Luke Kunin, who signed at two years at 2.75. This is Nashville avoiding Kunin's next contract. Kunin can produce a little, but otherwise looks like a fourth liner, so I think they're right not to want to pay him that. So 
fine. I would agree. I, I'm not terribly impressed by by Kunin slash Kunin. Another one of those guys whose names I've heard pronounced 35,000 ways, and I'm not sure which one's right. We'll just never know. Um, signings and acquisitions <laughs> for the <laughs> yeah. Nationals Predators. Knowing would force us to watch the San Jose Sharks, and that's not something I'm willing to do. Yeah, I know. Like, look, we'll make sacrifices, <laughs> but there are limits. Uh, signings and acquisitions. Uh, they signed UFA forward Nido Niederreiter, two years at $4 million. There is a saying that the best deals in free agency get signed after the first week, and I think this one has a pretty good chance of validating that saying. Um, he's a big play-driving forward who's done well in both Minnesota and Carolina, and he produces nicely at even strength. He doesn't have the hugest counting stats in the world, but that mostly seems to be a reflection of him not being either played that much or that productive on the power play. He is about to do in thir turn 30, but it's a two-year deal, so the term risk is pretty minimal. And Nashville is trying to compete now, so good, I guess. Is yeah, uh, Native Writer's a good player. This makes Nashville a better team. And I mean, I, the, all the moves we've talked about, I guess we'll talk about this in the summer, but all the moves that we've talked about basically make Nashville a better team, yes. right? A star. But there is a but coming, which we'll, which we'll get to. Yes. To be clear, Nashville is better, full stop. Um, not because of this next transaction, though. There's always got to be one weird thing. They signed UFA goalie Kevin Lankinen for one year at $1.5 He was terrible behind a terrible team in Chicago last year. Lankinen was 118th in goals above expected, which was second worst in the league. You only get down that far if your team is committed to keep playing you, even when you're bad. As illustrated by the fact that the only goalie below him was Philip Grubauer, who Seattle is kind of committed to. Like... They have to keep putting you out to get shelled more and more for you to sink this far down the list and expect it. Because you start at zero. Anyway, goalies are goalies, so who knows? Maybe he'll recover and be great as a backup in Nashville. And David Aridich last year did not exactly set an impossible bar to clear. But this team needs UC Soros really badly. Um, so they're going to lean on their starter pretty hard. Finally, they extended forward Philip Forsberg, eight years, 8.5 million per. He is a complete offensive threat. He drives play. He finishes extremely well. He's a good playmaker, has good defensive results. He is provocative and sneaky dirty, so he draws penalties. He scored at a 50-goal pace this year, so 42 in 69 games with 42 assists to match. He did absolutely shoot the lights out in a way that he's probably not going to do again. And he spent the whole season with Matt Duchesne, who looked reinvigorated, and who also had a shooting spike. Notwithstanding this, I think this is a good deal for Forsberg and for Nashville, and Nashville basically had to give this to him. Right, like, what's their what's their plan if you don't re-sign Philip Forsberg? Like, if you don't do that, you're just saying, okay, well, we're committing to a rebuild or something. Or, like, we're, I don't know, if you're Nashville, you know, we're skipping ahead slightly, but, like, Nashville's not a top-tier contender, mm -hmm. but... They're a respectable team. They're a good. They're a pretty good team. Mm -hmm. So, and that that does have some value in the NHL. Like, I, I don't want to be one of those insufferable people who are like, if you can't guarantee yourself a cup, you should try and get you know Connor Bedard or whatever. Um, it, it's like no, they're like it's useful to win hockey games and it's fun to win hockey games. So yes, they needed to make this signing, and it's it's a totally fine one. Yeah, Forsberg's great. Forsberg's really good. Yeah, really, the only knock here is health. He's had regular injury issues. He's 28, so you know he's not ancient by any means. Um, it's just going to be a matter of how long he stays healthy before he experiences a decline in skills. 
However, at a certain point, you just got to pay a really good player, and that's what Nashville did. So, fair enough. Um, Nashville had a terrific year in which their infamously overpaid centers, Matt Deshane and Ryan Johansson, both produced, and which Roman Yossi exploded. Um, I looked this up, and I believe Roman Yossi had the most points for a defenseman since 1993 uh, in one season, which is bonkers. Uh, the thing is, they had that great season, and then they drew the Colorado Avalanche in round one and got killed. And I think that kind of is the, the story of the Nashville Predators. They're good. They're fine. They got better. And I still don't think they're quite in the top tier. No, but again, that doesn't mean... That doesn't mean they can't, you know, make the playoffs. And if they avoid... You know Colorado, who who have gotten a little worse this year, at least on paper, mm-hmm. um, and they get into the two three matchup, then yeah, they can win a round. And like I mean, we're not in a position to shit on a team for winning a round, no. right? Like it's like that's that's meaningful. Yeah, and um, UC Soros is so good that he could conceivably go on a heater, and then you can beat anybody. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I think that there's a lot to like here. My only real cautions are one i don't think the talent has gotten quite high enough two uh and johansson looked close to worth their big deals for kind of the first time last season based on production they all had huge shooting years i don't know if they're going to repeat them so expecting you know another 40 goal year out of deshane or something like that i don't know that's what i was alluding to before where it's like they got better on paper but you would expect a lot of their players to be somewhere in between, you know, what they were last year and what they were the years prior. Yeah. And Yossi, so, like, that season was preposterous. Like, he's an unbelievable talent and great player, but, like, is he going to put up 96 points again? That's a lot to ask. You know? He'll be great. I wouldn't be surprised at all if he's the leading defenseman scorer. But, anyway. Uh, anyway, so that's kind of where Nashville is lingering. You never know. Maybe they'll jump up and surprise somebody, but second-tier team. The New Jersey Devils. Do you have any affinity for the New Jersey Devils from your time in New Jersey, or is it just... I mean, I was I was in Central Jersey, and the Devils play in North Jersey, mm-hmm. like right next to New York, basically. Okay. So it's like, I, I would say the area around Central Jersey is like much more Flyers country than it is Devils. Interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Live and learn. It, it's it's yeah. It's like significantly more. That that's actually this is an aside, but like I think Johnny Gaudreau is from. I don't know if, from what part of. I think he might be from like South Jersey actually. Mm. Uh, and South Jersey is like hundred percent Flyers country. Really. Philadelphia is like right next to New Jersey. Uh, there there's there's suburbs of Philadelphia that are in New Jersey rather than Pennsylvania. That's interesting. Well, I've mm-hmm. learned something about geography in the United States today. Thank yeah, you. they even have like reciproc. Like a lot of people live in New Jersey and work in Pennsylvania, or or vice versa, and they have like some tax reciprocity agreement or whatever. Yeah. So yeah, basically, like the two states are pretty integrated. Well, yeah. okay, this is educational. So you've all learned something, <laughs> and it wasn't about hockey. Um, the New Jersey Devils had two departures: Pavel Zaka to Boston for Eric Halla, and Ty Smith to Pittsburgh. We'll talk about them in the trades. Trades. They traded forward Pavel Zaka. To to Boston for forward Eric Halla. We talked about the other side of this in our first episode. Uh, Halla is a decent, versatile middle six player, even if Boston was always unhappy with him as a 2C. 
New Jersey doesn't need him to play 2C, really, because they're set down the middle long into the future with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer. So Hala can either play the wing or third-line center. I kind of wonder if the Devils were just tired of waiting for Zaka to really put it together. Hala is probably somewhat better now, but he is six years older than Zaka. He's 31, Zaka's 25. I, th- I think Zaka's also just like, he's a reminder of what could have been. Mm. You know, he was picked, I think, number six overall in the 2015 draft. So I think he was picked like right before uh, Ivan Provorov, right before Zach Wierenski. Of course, like way ahead of Matt Barzal, way ahead of Kyle Connor, way ahead of, you know, lots of people because that was a stacked draft. Yes. So it's possible they just didn't want to look at his face anymore and be reminded of failure. Uh, they traded defender Ty Smith and a 2023 third to Pittsburgh for defender John Marino. Marino was a decent right shot defenseman. He can play on your second pair. He didn't have a great 21-22, and it's always a little weird evaluating defensive players on Pittsburgh. Uh, several guys have looked better than you would think, based on name recognition in recent years over there. Uh, but Marino should be a competent middle pair guy. He's 25 and has five years left at 4.4 million. And the Pens had to cut salary somewhere, as we will discuss. Uh, Smith was once considered an up-and-comer on defense, but his results in third pair minutes have not been encouraging. And at this point, he's a bit of a reclamation at 22. He's yeah, a- I, I was sort of surprised when I saw this trade because it's like, I don't know, I remember that was anchored to something from a long time ago. But I think in his in Smith's post-draft year, I think he was drafted like relatively high in the first round, like above 15, mm-hmm. um, by which I mean closer to 1 than to 30. Uh, and I, I remember there's some talk in his post-draft years, like, oh, he's really impressing at training camp. They might even keep him in the lineup, you know, in his draft plus one year. I don't know if they actually ended up doing it or not. So I think I was like, oh, I guess this guy's projecting really well. And then see a couple years later, oh, guess not. Yeah, you know, uh, growth is not linear by any means. And some guys just sort of stall out. At the, yeah, uh, life comes at you fast. <laughs> Yes, it does. Uh, so it will now be coming at Ty Smith fast in Pittsburgh as opposed to in New Jersey. Um, they traded a 2022 second and third to Washington for RFA goalie Vitek Vanacek, and then they signed him for three years at 3.4 million. He's been about the same in two seasons with the Capitals, somewhat below inspe- expected in half a season of work. At this price, the expectation is decent tandem goalie which would be somewhat better than he's actually been so far, but it's not that far out of reach, and changing teams is always weird. If you think G uh, goal saved above expected was a bit hard on him in Washington, you can probably talk yourself into this being good. Um, goaltending killed New Jersey last year. Yeah, it, they, their goaltending was just absolute misery. Like, it was actually one of the few teams who almost certainly had worse goaltending than the Leafs. Yes, Statistically, New Jersey looked better than you probably think based on the fact that they finished in the abyss, standings-wise, and it was mostly goaltending. By skater talent, they looked like an okay team. If that gets better, that'll go a long way, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Signings and extensions. They signed forward Andre Palat, five years at six million. He's been a solid second-line offensive threat for the Bolts throughout their recent runs. He's a good playmaker, he's dependable, and it's very easy to see him playing with either Hughes or Heischer. He's also going uh, from one of the very best teams to not one of the very best teams at age 31. So, that's a bit risky. I suspect he will be good for the first couple years of it, but there is some pain potential for this contract, especially as it goes on. Um, right. I, I, I mean, this is also... So I don't think... 
I don't think Palat ran, like randomly gets way, way better in the playoffs. I just think he's a very good player who's played a lot of playoff games and as a result has had a bunch of big playoff moments. Like I think he's good in the playoffs, but I think he's just good generally. Yes. But I can imagine New Jersey saying, oh, this guy is like really good in the playoffs. Like we need to get him. He's the type of guy who can elevate our team. But it's like, you might not make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> right. And well, which isn't to, to say, there. Yeah. Which isn't to say Palat's like a, a bad. I don't think this is like a bad contract. Um, or like, I don't think it's super out of line with the market. I think similar to last year when they signed Dougie Hamilton's been like, okay, this is a commitment to get into the playoffs and I'm not sure it's enough. Um, it, they're, they're closer this year than they were last year, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, as we said, a lot hinges on the goaltending. But I mean, they, they have to do it at some point, right? They're, they're not, yeah, they're, it's not like there's a magic bullet that they could have fired that would automatically make them a playoff team. So I, I, that's a meandering way of saying this Palat deal was fine, but as you said, there's downside risk. Yes. Um, I think that the thread running through this and several of their other moves is impatience. I think mm-hmm. New Jersey is tired of getting good press in the offseason and finishing way out of the playoffs. And so they've moved aggressively. So they're signing guys like Palat, who's 31, to term deals. They're trading Zaka for an older player in Eric Halla. They're giving up on Ty Smith and they're not patient with him anymore. Um, some other moves... Uh, they signed forward slash defenseman Brendan Smith, one year at 1.1 million. He's 33, and he's just one of those goofy dual position guys. But at that price, he might outperform it. Um, they extended defender Jonas Siegenthaler for five years at 3.4 million. It starts in a year, so he's still going to play out one year of his existing contract before this one even gets going. This may feel like a lot for Siegenthaler. It does to me instinctively. But he was a good defensive defender playing alongside the defensively questionable Damon Severson. He's kind of the big, quiet, stay-at-home type who can pair with either Severson or Hamilton, and he's 25. Uh, If you don't blame him too much for not driving a lot of offense, you can talk yourself into this deal, I think. I I actually kind of like this deal. I mean, I haven't done a ton of research on it specifically, but, like, Siegenthaler seems all right, and it's, like... As long as he is playable on a second pair, that's a completely movable deal. Yeah, yeah, that that makes sense. And unlike a lot of other teams, the Devils are kind of set on the right side with Hamilton, Marino, and then Severson's expiring, but still. Whereas they could use a defensive complement in Siegenthaler who can play on the left. So I think when you accept that he's not supposed to be the best player on his pairing... He's supposed to be the supporting cast member. You sort of get it and you think, okay, maybe that's all right. And as you say, in the top four, 3.4 million is fine. Yeah. Um, they extended RFA forward and porn star named hero, Miles Wood, one year, 3.2 million. This feels kind of spicy for a guy who produces a bit, but does not drive play and is kind of frequently injured. This deal was massively over projection from Evolving Hockey too, which was a little under 1.3 million. I've, I've always viewed Miles Wood as like Kasperi Kapan and Light, mm. which is like not really a compliment. Mm. Yeah, I don't know that uh, Kapanen has enough that you can afford to be the light version of him. <laughs> um, I should say he was scheduled for arbitration. So presumably the Devils thought he was going to get something not far off this. Um, and he's a good skater, as you've indicated. He plays well in the rush. But um, anyway, that's a little interesting. And I think that it's 
kind of relevant in the context of our next signing. RFA forward Jesper Bratt. Did you know that Jesper Bratt had 73 points last year? Out of- I can't. Sorry, that was my, that was my Pierre <laughs> Maguire. Can you believe it? Moment? <laughs> he did. 73 points at age 24. This was more than double his prior career high, although he was productive on a point-per-game basis the prior season. Um, you can see how this might have led to a tricky negotiation and kind of a show-me deal. But now the Devils have no control for term over a player that looks like an offensive god in isolates. He's quick and he's skillful, and he ought to be a long-term running mate for Heesher, I think, as he was much of last season. Or he could play with Hughes. Um, the Devils fans I follow wanted more term on this and are a little bit uneasy that it was only a year. The Devils, after several years where they had a ton of cap space, uh, are now capped out. And I kind of look at the Miles Wood thing and think, maybe it would have made sense to cut off some money there to get some term with Brat, if possible. But well, So Brat, will he expire as an RFA? He, he's not old enough to be a UFA by age, but he came into the NHL really young, didn't he? He came at like 19. No, he, he'll, he'll be RFA with Arbright's next season. Okay, so he could walk to UFA if he wanted. Yeah. Basically. So, yeah, I'll I'll have to uh, to check whether he's could... on schedule for that. But it does feel like when you identify a young player, you'd like to lock him up now. Maybe last year was kind of a flash in the pan, and he won't end up being worth a lot more than five point four million. But he looks pretty good. Yeah, I I, I tend to like Brat a fair bit. Yeah. Um. Okay. Uh, they drafted Simon Nemec. Uh, second overall he's a smart all-around defender with top pairing potential apparently people like him that's as much as I know about him Uh, so outlook as we've referenced the Devils were a pretty passable team that got sewered by trash goaltending if Blackwood or Vanacek or even Jonathan Bernier who's coming off major hip surgery can put something together in terms of goaltending, they could... Oh, that's chill. Goalies have never had hip issues. That's that's never an (laughs) ominous sign. He says, foreshadowing. Um, (laughs) Yeah, anyway, if some combination of those three men can put passable goaltending on the table for New Jersey, they can scrap for a playoff spot. For sure. The the Devils played some freaking terrible goaltenders last year. Uh, They played Trevor Gillies a lot. They played... Um, I think that's Andrew Hammond who played a bit towards the end of the year like Scott Wedgwood played a role this is a who's who of goaltenders like oh yeah that guy he wasn't very good seven years ago <laughs> let's remember some goalies yeah yeah uh, I mean Blackwood was supposed to be the guy of the future and yes he was just dreadful and so they yeah. tried and also injured yeah and also injured in fairness to him so yeah they just tried a bunch of stuff to see what worked nothing really did and now here they are. Um, yeah, I think impatience is a defining feature of this offseason for New Jersey, which is not to say that they got stupid, because I don't think that they made really bad moves or anything like that. Again, I think Miles Wood is a bit overpaid, but whatever, that's one thing. They got good players. They should be better. But I think that this is a team that is tired of rebuilding and wants to make the playoffs now. Yeah. Basically, every team in the Metro wants to win now, right? Like, I can't think of a team there that's really future-oriented. Maybe the Flyers. But they're just like, I don't know if they're oriented in any direction, really. No, I think the Flyers 
are future oriented in the sense that they don't they're know not what good. they're doing in the present tense but <laughs> yeah they're future oriented but it's not by choice yeah <laughs> yeah there it's it's an accidental rebuild so yeah I, I think that this defines what the devils are doing they want to move up the standings now dougie hamilton is not getting any younger uh jack hughes i think is going to be a star for real um he got this big contract that was sort of a bet on him that was uh, eight million at term and some people criticized it at the time as paying for what he could do rather than what he had done but it looks like they might have been right about what he could do and if he keeps going i think this deal will be just great so. i agree i'm i'm very very high on jack hughes as as like i think he, i think he will be a top five center at, at his peak i think he's really good and i think he'll be really good like this year like if he play, if he stays healthy I'm, i would expect him to get to like 95 to 100 points like he's i don't know he's so good offensively just so complete like he can pass really well his shot is really 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 um I think like underrated in some way. Like I think people don't think of him as like a great shooter, but I think he is a great shooter. Yeah. Great, great puck control. Excellent with zone entries. Yeah, like just very complete offensive threat. And he also, you know, to to the extent that New Jersey has good offensive talent, mm-hmm. you know, besides Jack Hughes and like you know useful offensive players like Heeshear and Brat. Like Heeshear and Brat played together more. Like that was a pairing last mm-hmm. year. Hughes didn't play with that. He played with I, I forget who, but it was it was not. It wasn't like amazing linemates by any stretch. Yeah, I think it's worth noting he had 56 points in 49 games last year, which is already a 94 point phase. Like Mm -hmm. he's already doing it. I think that there's a bit of a, there was a feeling of being underwhelmed when he entered the league after being a touted first overall pick. And And he was the first overall pick after, was he after Matthews or was he two years after Matthews? uh, I believe it was three years after Matthews. He was 29. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So, I mean, this has been the case for a lot of highly drafted players since Matthews McDavid. Mm-hmm. They're just not as good as Matthews McDavid. So people are like, oh, these guys are shit. But it's like, no, Matthews and McDavid are not normal. No. Right? Like, people don't come into the league and are, you know, and immediately light it up. Even really, really, really good players. Yes. So. Yeah. And- we'll talk about this with, with Capo Caco soon as well. And I guess Alexi Lafreniere as well. Yeah, I think that people have really unrealistic expectations about what an 18-year-old is supposed to be able to do at a, uh, a given age. Um, and I also think that teams probably rush their young players. Like, I think Hughes probably would have been better served playing outside the NHL in his first season. But at any rate, people have probably underrated him a little bit because the Devils have been non-competitive and because there was a bit of a feeling of womp-womp the first season. But, like, he just scored at a 94-point pace in a season where he was 20 years old. Mm. Like, he just turned 21. So, yeah, he's going to be real good. And you can see why the Devils are thinking, okay, now is our time to rise in a Metro division that I think is is filled with several teams that are competing. But there are definitely opportunities, um, especially as Washington kind of falls away. A little bit. Right. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Sorry, this is... I, I'm... I was confused with uh, with Hughes. I, I thought he was drafted much earlier than he was because I was... I remember New Jersey got the first overall pick the year after Matthews, but that was his year. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
another another guy who's probably been slightly unfairly pegged because he is a good player but not a super elite player yeah he's a very good second line center um and that's all they need him to be new jersey has pieces here man they absolutely do have pieces and if the goaltending just isn't ass i think this could definitely be a wild card team Mm -hmm. i would agree with that yeah also a ton of their supporting cast expires this season so i talked about them being capped out now but they will have a chance to turn over a lot of the roster if they're so inclined um anyway the new york islanders departures zidane ochara is probably retiring uh we can never be totally sure that we're safe but he's 45 and has no mobility at all it's time to go uh, andy green is also probably retiring he's 39 and was in pronounced decline best wishes to him and coach barry trotz wow yeah that's that's something yeah even just like remembering that it happened i'm surprised all over again uh trotz apparently wore on his players a bit he has a demanding style and i can see that yeah i yeah i read a thing about um trotz in the aftermath and there was some chatter that like barry trotz hockey requires everyone to be kind of going 100 percent all the time in terms of commitment and energy level and you can get that out of people for sustained periods especially if you're winning especially if it's the playoffs and the Islanders always did well in the playoffs but over a long grinding mediocre year you could see it wearing on people and mm. the Islanders it's, best. it's interesting that i mean trot spent forever in nashville mm-hmm. right and i guess we didn't hear this to the same degree but maybe he had like he had really strong buy-in from david poyle right so and nashville also for a long 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 time was not a team that had any offensive stars or any any players who could like even justify to be like oh screw screw this you know i i i don't need this in my life or whatever <laughs> like they could justify to say like who the hell are you yeah right yeah so i, I and I, I wonder if like i don't know it's, it's just interesting to see how that's changed because trotz was the poster boy for a person who for continuity and like eventually the the payoff of continuity with Nashville becoming a really really great team under his watch yes and trotz was credited for the islanders wildly exceeding expectations for i think justifiably yeah um they replaced him with his assistant lane lambert who presumably will continue in the same style yeah um, that's always interesting because i i imagine like assistants probably diverge with the head coaches to some degree obviously because you know two people are not going to be in alignment on absolutely everything Mm -hmm. but you'd think that they'd at least broadly be in alignment so you'd expect a roughly similar system but maybe some tweaks around the edges and maybe maybe the real benefit of this is just like the players were kind of sick of trots in some ways that's kind of what i think went on now you wouldn't expect lou lamorello to turf a guy because the players got sick of him because lou lamorello does not believe in player rights but um i do you wonder if it was just a personality flip and we're going to see the same sort of showing from Lambert in terms of coaching style and tactics? Um, I don't think he really has another option in a sense of just like yes. the Isles talent-wise are, they're not going to win open hockey games. No. Right, so. No. I mean, the system that Trotz imposed is absolutely the correct one for maximizing the outcome from this roster, I'm confident saying. So, yeah. Um, trades, they really only did the one 
acquisition at all. And that is that they traded the 13th overall pick to Montreal for defender Alex Romanoff and a 2022 fourth. Um, Romanoff is still finding his feet as a 22-year-old physical defenseman. But I don't mind this deal from the Islanders' perspective. Especially since with the age of their team, they might have a natural incentive to kind of accelerate the timeline from whoever they would have drafted 13th, who would be 18 years old. And Romanoff, who's 22 and can already play in the NHL. You know, the Isles aren't getting any younger. They might want to move more aggressively. They went on to sign him three years at 2.5 million, which I think is reasonable. Yep, I agree. Uh, they did a couple of extensions. No UFA signings over a million. So quiet offseason from them. Uh, they extended defender Noah Dobson for three years at 4 million. He has top pair potential. He's tall. He's mobile. He's a good passer. It is not at all hard to see him being worth more than this. Maybe next year, certainly by the end of the deal. And for, for all his yeah. sorry, for all his faults, Lou Lamorello, I think, basically always does very well at RFA signings. Yes. And you wonder if that's earned credibility from driving a hard bargain on so many occasions or what. But either way, I think this is good. You might lament that you didn't get a little bit more term, but it does end restricted free agents. So, yeah, I think there's a lot to like there. Um, they extended winger Kiefer Bellows one year at 1.2 million. He produced a bit in half an NHL season, and I don't know that he's going to be a significant player. He hasn't driven play much. Uh, this team had a really rough year last year, and it began with a nomadic start to the season because their arena wasn't ready. Um, and they fell into a hole in the first half that they just never dug out of. I still think that they're good enough to scrap for a wildcard spot, and they're probably a little better than they looked last year. And I don't think anyone would be eager to face them when the playoffs rolled around. But they were a bottom 10 offense, and they did not add any scoring. And that's kind of glaring. Um, a lot of their forward core is old, or is in decline, or soon will be. And Lou signed a lot of these bloated mid-level contracts. And now they can't make competitive bids on players like Johnny Gaudreau or Nazem Kadri both mm -hmm. of whom they were rumored to be in on and neither of whom they were able to sign. You know, I, I've said before, I don't think Lou Lamarillo always gets enough credit, but I think he also does deserve some blame here in that he's constructed a team that is now mired in the middle. Right, there's no easy options to move up or down, really. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean they'll be left waiting through some of these contracts and I don't know if they're going to be entirely happy with them. Now, look, the Isles have made us look silly before for underestimating them. So all things are possible. But if I were an Islanders fan, I would be genuinely disappointed in this offseason. And I would say we didn't get any scoring and that was the most obvious thing we needed to do. Mm -hmm. I would agree. The New York Rangers... Uh, Ryan Strom, unrestricted to Anaheim for five years at $5 million. He was replaced by Vincent Trocek, so I'm going to talk about him in that context. Andrew Kopp, unrestricted to Detroit, five years at $5.625 million. He gave the, the team a big boost at the trade deadline. Uh, the Rangers' fancy stats, which were not very good, got a whole lot better post-trade deadline, and Kopp was a big part of that, so they'll certainly miss him, even if that deal is maybe a bit rich. Mm-hmm. Frank Vetrano, unrestricted to Anaheim, another deadline uh, acquisition. He was a shooter and a lot else, and he contributed to the Rangers' run to the Eastern Conference Finals, which I think 
may have inflated their rep a bit beyond their actual team quality, but what do I know? Uh, Alexander Georgiev to Colorado. We'll discuss that below. Kevin Rooney, unrestricted to Calgary. Two years at 1.3. Good riddance. Justin Braun, UFA to Philly. One point, sorry, one year at 1 million. That's all fine. Uh, they traded Alexander Georgiev to Colorado for a 2022 third, a 2022 fifth, and a 2023 third. To judge by the deal Georgiev signed in Colorado, which was three years at 3.4 million, he was being valued higher in the market than the Rangers had any business paying a backup goalie. Yeah, I think they made out like bandits here. Georgiev hasn't actually been that great in New York from what we can measure. Um, he's been well below expected the last couple of years, and he's never been much above it in any year. Right. Um, this is a lesson to any aspiring hockey players out there. If you have a good game, have it against the Leafs. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, he's always been well scouted, and it's been alleged that he was sort of the starting goalie of the future. Obviously, Igor Shesterkin took that job and ran away with it, so... And, and also, to Georgiev's credit, he punched Tony D'Angelo, which is, I think, probably worth $3 million of his 3.4. <laughs> it's a well-earned salary when you look at it from that perspective. Uh, yeah, so the Rangers obviously were in a, the right space to unload him. Shesterkin is their guy and will be for the foreseeable future. Uh, they're going to replace him with Yaroslav Halak, who is the eternal 1B and has done this for what feels like 25 years. Yeah, it's going to be like 2055. Yaro Halak's <laughs> going to put up a 912 in 24 games played. That's the Yaro Halak experience. Uh, they traded uh, defender Patrick Nemeth, a 2024 third or 2026 second, and a 2025 second to Arizona for a B-tier defense prospect named Ty Emerson. That was paying to unload a bad contract at two years and 2.5. Nemeth wasn't very good and was overpaid. I guess this is what it costs to get rid of him, so Drury fixed his own mistake. Um, yeah. They signed Vincent Trocek. They're paying him more money and more years than Ryan Strom, whom they let go to Anaheim, so one assumes they think he's better? Uh, Strom's numbers have been goosed by playing with Artemi Panarin, and Trocek's haven't yet, so one assumes Tro uh, Strom will be less productive this season, Trocek more productive. Trocek is solid defensively, he works hard, and... Assuming that the Rangers were okay letting Strom walking couldn't line Naz and Kadri, Trocek was the next best name. Uh, I don't think they got him cheap, but Evolving Hockey seems to think they did. So, yeah. I guess he'll get 60 points with Panarin at least. Yeah, I mean, I was just looking up Trocek's line mates in Carolina, and it was a bit a bit of a mix, but a lot of Natchez and a fair bit of Sveshnikov. So it's not like he was playing with chopped liver either. Yeah, that's true. Um... And maybe I'm overrating Panarin a little bit compared to those guys, but Panarin is Panarin, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, they're committed to him. Uh, they signed Yaro Halak, as mentioned, a year at 1.5. He was exactly unexpected last year, which is fine for a 1B goalie. It's good for a 1B goalie, actually. For yeah. Frankly, like it's... Halak's like one of the more underrated goalies of, of this era. I feel like he's the best goalie who I can't remember was ever an unquestioned starter. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like the best goalie you to your team would never commit to. Exactly. Yeah, he's in a very weird zone. And yeah, he's 37, but he's still doing it, and he's still pretty good. Um, they extended Capo Caco, two years at 2.1 million. We were just talking about this, getting put in the NHL too early. Caco's mm -hmm. uh, only 21, and expectations have declined hard from the draft hype in 2019. 
when he went second overall behind Jack Hughes. He's still big, he still has offensive talent, and he showed flashes in the playoffs with uh, Heedle and Lafreniere. A bridge deal seemed like the obvious outcome here. The Rangers can still hope that he really outperforms this one. Um, I don't think anyone's content with how his development has gone, for sure. No, I, I, I would agree with that. And, I mean, when the, when the Rangers were sort of big game hunting around... I know Jack Eichel was one. Maybe there are other players as well. You know, rumors were like, oh, you know, Kako would have to be part of that. And the Rangers were obviously very hesitant to include him. And I, I wonder if they look back and say, oh, maybe we, we should have. Like, it, it would have been actually a reasonable sell low. Uh, or sorry, sell early uh, yeah. decision to make on him. I'm not saying that they should have. I, I, I would have to look into it more deeply. And it's not like, you know, the winners of the Jack Hughes sweep, Jack Eichel sweepstakes, rather, have not been incredibly happy with the returns right now. Well, as we'll get to later, but it's it's interesting. I mean, I think teams always love their young draft picks more than others do, right? That's like just the definition of like endowment bias. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I mean, I can't say I've been super impressed by what I've seen of Kako since he made the NHL. But yeah, same. I, I would like for him to be like he shows flashes, but yeah. it's just the numbers don't really lie in in a sense. Like it's just he hasn't been that great and there's also been a lot of complaints from rangers fans both regarding um kako and lafreniere that they're not put in the right situation to succeed which i can see as being true they're put on a probably better teams than the average first or second overall pick goes into and like weren't given the opportunity to fail perhaps as much as like other players would but i also think you know if someone's going to be a transcendent player then they will do just that. They will transcend their situation. Yeah, every time we get into the situation where it's like, well, what has he done with the opportunity he's been given? Like, you know, Austin Matthews started as a third-line center for the Leafs, and he established himself as the 1C pretty quickly. Uh, I'm not saying Kako had to do that, but what has he done in the NHL in the last few years to be like, yeah, you definitely need to be played in the top six all the time. This is something that we, we talk about a lot, but it, it comes up especially with young players, but like the team doesn't exist to put a young player in the best situation possible. A team exists to win games. Yes. And, and the Rangers especially exist to win games right now. Yes. And those aren't always the same thing. They can be, mm-hmm. but they're not always. Yes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um they extended forward Sammy Blaze a year at $1.5 He's an interesting-ish depth forward who missed almost the whole year with a torn ACL, so best of luck coming back. Um, yeah, he was, he was I believe, the return for the Pavel Buchnevich trade last offseason, which I think looked bad at the time and looks worse now. Um, not really Blaze's fault, but yeah. Yeah. I do. I remember on our previous edition of this League Survey podcast, we were straight up like, wow, that is a robbery for St. Louis. But uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I I don't know if I don't remember if the Rangers had to trade Buchnevich for like cap reasons or anything, but you given how far they made it last year, you think they would have been even better with Buchnevich. Yes. Right. And, so like if they could have kept him, they probably should have, but Yeah. And like they had cap pressures, but like they probably could have kept him. And I think that they should have made it a priority, but I don't know. Um yeah. So, Outlook, the Rangers have a couple of tentpole players, Artemi Panarin, 
Adam Fox. They have several good supporting players. Chris Kreider, by the way, 50 goal man last year. Mika Zibanejad, Jacob Truba, Vincent Trocek, and they have currently the best goalie in the world in Igor Shesterkin. So why can't I convince myself that this is a top tier team? I think it's my inherent distrust of goalies because if Shesterkin declines to merely good instead of superhuman, I think this team comes back to the pack. Yeah. And, yeah. I don't know. They're, 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 as you said, their fancy sets did get way better post-trade deadline. Yeah. So it's like, I, I don't... They're not as bad. I think some people think they're worse than they are, mm-hmm. just in the sense of, like, they had, like, a 45% course year or whatever for a long time, and were just bailed out by Shesterkin. But then they actually did improve that. Yes. Although Cop and Vetrano are now gone again. Yeah. Cop matters more for that than Vetrano. Yeah, Vetrano doesn't really help. But, I mean... As long as Shesterkin is this good, they are a contender full stop. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. But it's, like, just, it's hard to bet on Shesterkin being that good. Yeah, and, and you know, we've, we've talked about it. I look at John Gibson. I look at Sergei Bobrovsky. I look at Jacob Markstrom in his first bad year in Calgary. These were very, very good goalies. Um, it's just very hard to consistently be the best. I'm not saying I expect Shesterkin to fall apart by any means. I'm just saying the bar he set last season where he was a fringe heart candidate. Uh, maybe fringe is probably underselling it. He was a legit heart candidate. Um, yeah, like if, if you're if you're a heart purist where you just think the most valuable player should get the heart and therefore the most valuable player every year is the best goalie, then mm-hmm. I can... There's an argument for Shesterkin getting the heart. I think it's like kind of a silly definitional argument, but it's, it's not completely incoherent. Yeah, and Shesterkin had as good a season for a goalie as I think anyone's had since Carey Price won the heart, but I, I mean, that's more arguable, but he's a, he's a fantastic goaltender. So yeah, as long as that keeps going great for New York, they'll probably win the division. Um, they can also still hope for strides out of Lafreniere and Kako, which mm-hmm. would help cushion the blow from losing cop and from a return to earth by Chris Kreider, because I mentioned he had 52 goals last year. He had never cleared 28 before last season. Part of that was, like, injuries, right? Because, like... Yes. I think he's been on pace for 30. At least 30 before. Yeah. Like, he's a good player and a good rush goal scorer, and he's dangerous. But last year was goddamn bonkers. Yeah, just everything. Everything he touched net front was was going in. It was it was yeah. crazy. Um, basically, Kreider had the David Clarkson year, but Kreider was actually good. So, yeah. like, a, it's a 50-goal year as opposed to, like, a fluke 30-goal year. Yeah. Like, Kreider scoring 30-35 next year would not shock me at all. It's just no, that, that's what I would expect, actually, naively. Yeah, that's just down about twenty. So, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I'm a little cool on them because I'm holding them to the standard of a real contender, and I think that to be that, Shesterkin has to be absolutely platinum plated. Um, we'll see. They're definitely not a bad team, and yeah, so lots of potential there. Just. I'm a little hesitant to put them in the top five or six or seven best teams for that reason. Um, the Ottawa Senators, boy, they have been busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, they traded Matt Murray to Toronto. We've discussed that previously, so I will refer you to our Leafs app uh, if you want to hear more about that. They traded Connor Brown to Washington, discussed below. Uh, Chris Tierney went UFA to Florida, a year at 750. Michael Delzato, same thing, Florida, a year at 750. Uh, Victor Mete to Toronto and Adam Gadette to Toronto, both discussed previously. 
I'm trying to be sort of nice about this, but the biggest departure from the SENS organization was Eugene Melnick, who simultaneously departed the land of the living. <laughs> I'm... I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> the dead the dead pen <laughs> she said that it's just very funny to me i'm sorry normally um, no. i i don't believe in speaking ill of the dead however he was yeah. not a good person so meh anyway no. from a purely rational perspective the sands are now under new ownership um yeah condolences to the loved ones of uh eugene melnick not just because eugene melnick passed away but because they had to deal with eugene melnick for a long time <laughs> oh man um, yeah, anyway, so Melnick's daughters, I believe, are now sort of overseeing the franchise, and early returns on their tenure have been very positive. Uh, I think that there's been a huge uh, growth in goodwill and hope around the mm -hmm. Sens franchise, partly because of that and partly because they made some big moves. They really did. So, as we mentioned on the previous episode from Chicago's perspective, they traded the 2022 seventh overall pick, the 2022 39th overall pick, and a 2024 second for Alex DeBrincat. So we talked about this from the Chicago end. It's a great addition for Ottawa, obviously with one possible caveat. Look, he's an extremely gifted 24 year old goal scoring winger with a year at 6.4 million and then a 9 million qualifying offer after it. Um, DeBrincat's really, really good. He's a first-line caliber player, bar none. He's a 40-goal threat every season. He's the kind of player you want. I feel like I'm hammering this, so I think the point's made. The only question is, what comes of this in a longer-term sense? Um, if he wants to, he can play out this year at $6.4 He can pick up his $9 million qualifying offer. And he can walk to unrestricted free agency the year after that. Uh, Ottawa is in a bit of a weird position, therefore, where if he really wants to go, he'll be able to go and they'll probably have to trade him. And if they choose to extend him, it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, I think it's likely he stays. Ottawa, yeah. Ottawa hasn't had a problem retaining players in the sense of those players want to leave. They've had a problem retaining players in the sense of Ottawa hasn't wanted to keep them because they are expensive and Eugene Melnick really didn't want to spend money. Yeah, and I should say, like, when I said this on Twitter, Travis Yost uh, quote tweeted me, and I got a million angry responses from Sens fans, which is fine. Uh, but I, I do want to keep it in perspective and say, look, he's a very good player. They're better for having him. It makes a lot of sense to make this move I'm just observing that there is a bit of a downside risk there. Yeah, um, I, I think I think the most likely outcome is that he signs in Ottawa. Mm -hmm. Pre like, pres presumably, if the new ownership, I guess it's the same ownership group, but if like the, the new people who are cutting the checks effectively are okay with spending to the cap, then Ottawa will re-sign him. But Dabrinkit does have a lot of leverage. Mm -hmm. And he, if he wants to, he can use that to get... A really good deal because Ottawa you know him leaving would be pretty disastrous and if his agent is smart and different cares a lot about profit maximization they should definitely leverage that fact of like you know I have this nine million dollar qualifying offer I can do a lot of damage with that so you should really pay me handsomely pay me yeah. maybe even more than you think I'm worth mm -hmm. 
so yeah th there's a bit of a clouding issue there and you know we've we've mentioned in the context of Huberto, for example when you make a big asset trade for a player like this you're going to end up paying them on the extension in all likelihood uh still good player makes them a lot better yeah uh, and, and yeah. again like players have liked playing in ottawa like mm. carlson didn't want to leave stone didn't want to leave it's I, I can see I think the most likely outcome is to bring it resigning and being annoying for us because he is a very very good player yes he is um, Connor Brown traded to Washington for a 2024 second one year at 3.6 million uh, the Sens were clearing some money here it seems like Brown was hardworking and productive for them and they might miss him a little bit more than it seems like but they made a massive injection of winger talent so it was natural enough for them to cut salary to wing so, I get it. Uh, they traded goalie Philip Gustafson for goalie Cam Talbot. So, a goalie prospect for a veteran backup. Um, this is a little bit questionable to me. Talbot has a year left at 3.6 million. He's 35 and he wasn't that great last year. But they just want him to be the backup to Anton Forsberg. And Forsberg was good last year. So, if he repeats the trick as a starter, the Sens are going to have good goaltending at a reasonable price. So, yeah, a little iffy, but goalies, right? Uh, signings. They signed forward Claude Giroux, three years at $6.5 million. He's still a very good offensive player at age 30. He's from the Ottawa area as well, isn't he? He is, and there were rumors of this for a while. Um, so it's not a huge shock that he's decided to go home there. Uh, I think Giroux has a chance to outperform this deal in the first year, which is the point. Uh, I've also seen some people comparing it to the Patrick Marlowe contract, which the Leafs... Yeah, that's, is... that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's the Leafs live to regret the Marlowe contract. I have to say, I don't think that's a fair comparison. Yeah. For one, Giroux is better now than Marlowe was when he signed. For another, Giroux is under 35 while Marlowe was over, which is relevant because over 35 contracts have some rules that make them a lot harder to get rid of. Other ones don't. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a good signing for Ottawa. It's aggressive in pursuit of present wins. You know, they're trying to move forward now. But, yeah, he's a good player. I think that this is a good deal. I think the big thing that makes this exciting for Ottawa fans is just, yeah, they're interested in present wins now. And mm -hmm. they haven't been for, you know, what feels like a long time. Yes. Yeah, like, you can absolutely see why people are excited about the Ottawa Senators again after a period where there wasn't as much to be excited about. Um, they extended Josh Norris, who's their first line center, uh, eight years at 7.95 million. He's 23. He just scored 35 goals. He doesn't seem to drive play at an elite level yet. And this deal could look kind of rich if his finishing comes back to earth. But he is also potentially the one seed of the future. And the Sens are working to abolish reputation as a team that can't keep as good players. So they now have him and Brady Kachuk and Thomas Shabbat, all locked up for term. So the the old fear, which is that all of our good players will leave when uh, free agency comes around, is kind of attenuated now because they have these big term deals locked in. They just have to hope the players are not worth it. Right. So Norris centered a first line last year between Kachuk and Drake Batherson. And that line sort of got run over in shots and XG. Um, but they finished very well. And that was concentrated on Norris and Batherson specifically. Uh, 
anyone who's watched Ottawa or has followed hockey stats knows Brady Kachuk is one of the worst finishers in the league. Mm-hmm. So we chatted about this during one of our midseason reviews last year, and it's totally possible that this is just a legit first line, especially given the ages of all those guys. They're all young enough that, like, even if you don't expect them to get way, way, way better, you certainly don't expect them to get any worse. So, you know, I think kind of last year was probably a relative floor for them in, in some ways. Um, and if they get any improvement in play driving or defense from any of the forwards, that's really beneficial. None of those forwards are particularly good defensively at this point, I don't think. But, you know, when I said, okay, last year was probably a floor for them, I think that's true in everything except one respect. Uh, we still don't have a huge track record of finishing from Norris and Batherson. Mm-hmm. It seems reasonably fair to say that they are almost certainly above average shooters uh, just because what they did last year was so crazy good mm-hmm. but there's a lot of room between average and like you know close to elite or elite and if they regress closer to average and don't make improvements on the defensive side and in their ability to control the puck and kind of dominate the neutral zone then this first line might have a ceiling put on it so that's, I think, going to be the big thing to watch for Ottawa this year. How how good does this first line look? Because um, I think, assuming they keep it together, I, I assume they're going to play like Giroud and Debrinket on the on the second line. Yeah, um, you know Cam Charon, sorry Cam Charon, who was a blogger and then was employed with the Leafs analytics department and is now back into the blogging world. He had a tweet the other day where he said, "The best thing you can do." as a GM is to identify your star players early and pay them for term. And the Sens have tried to do that. I won't say that there's no risk uh, if they turn out to have bet on a bit of a shooting spike. And they had a uh, borderline silly deal for Colin White, which wound up getting bought out, where they tried to, um, to bet on him to improve and he just didn't. But by and large, I like this move from their perspective, even if Norris might have to do a little bit more to confirm he's worth this. There is also an upside case where in a few years they have this great first line locked in and they're really happy about it. Right, and and we're actually seeing, we've seen quite a few super long-term deals, or like eight-year, eight or seven-year deals mm-hmm. that we've discussed so far and we will keep discussing going forward. Um, a lot of these teams are also making bets on the cap increasing, which I think is probably a relatively safe bet. Yeah, once the uh, the league gets out of the debt hole, that was dug for it by the pandemic. The cap will probably start rising again. And so these deals will get better by uh, comparison. Um, they also extended RFA forward Matthew Joseph, four years at 2.95 million. I think this is a bit of a sneaky overpay for a player who's mostly been a decent defensive depth forward, but he had a well-timed point spike upon arriving in Ottawa, 12 points in 11 games played. If he does well in a larger role with Ottawa, it has the potential to turn out okay. But I would not be super psyched about this deal if the Leafs signed it. Not the end of the world. Not what I would have done. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the four years is kind of... I mean, this this is a bit like the Colin White signing. It's yeah. just like, uh, you know, they're going to have to keep adding wins at some point And having two point, having basically three mil tied up in someone who might be worth half that is just like kind of an annoying little thing to have to deal with for the next you know four years yeah um they have a couple of outstanding rfas who are presumably going to take up the uh, most of the remainder of their cap space 
Uh, Alex Formanton is a speedy, big, productive forward. Very, very fast skater. Um, if you ever watch the Sens, he stands out the same way that Kasperi Kapanen did, where he just zooms up the wing. Um, he is under a bit of a cloud right now. Uh, it's not clear what his involvement was with the World Juniors scandal that has been going through the media. I have no idea what level of involvement he may or may not have had. Um, so I will say no more about it. Uh, Eric Brandstrom is a talented defender whom coaches never seem to like as much as scouts do. He has no arb rights, so he's probably going to come in pretty cheap. Um, you wonder what they're negotiating over, but yeah, I, I guess we'll see how that pans out. In, mm -hmm. in the end, you know, teams generally sign their RFAs. So you would bet on them to resolve this with the nearly 8 million of cap space they still have. Yeah, with room to spare. Mm -hmm. So, Outlook. The Sens added two first-line caliber wingers. That makes them a lot better. <laughs> Duh. News at 11. Debrinkat and Giroux make this a much more dangerous lineup offensively. Um, Ottawa was 26th in goals per game last season, so even with a major boost, they may not be, like, the best offensive team. Uh, I don't know if they're a top-five offense, frankly, but they'll be better. Uh, Forsberg had the best year of his career in net last season, so we'll see if he repeats it. If he does, they're sitting pretty. But this team's defense is not good. No, not at all. No. They were bottom quartile defensively last year, and they got bailed out by Forsberg and, to a limited extent, Matt Murray. Uh, and they haven't done anything that seems like it's going to bring them a defensive upgrade. They've been rumored to be fishing around Jacob Chikrin for a while, and by all accounts, they're aware they need another defenseman. If they get one, I think this team becomes pretty credible as a wildcard threat. If they don't, I'm not sure they're quite good enough, especially since Boston got Bergeron back and will probably be able to hang on for one more year. Um, I think they're probably the fifth best team in the division this year which is a big step forward, but it still leaves them scuffling for the wild card unless they make another move. Yeah, I, th I think if I had to predict their modal outcome next year, it's like the ninth seed in the East. Yeah. I mean, they'll be exciting. They'll be around it, I think. Mm. Um, they'll, they'll play meaningful games in March. Yeah. And, you know, if if they can get around on the Debrinket thing and resolve that with a, a good long-term extension... I think they're going to be pretty happy even if they miss the playoffs. They'll say, you know, we're set up with a good young core to contend. So, yeah. I I definitely don't blame Sens fans for being optimistic at this point. I just... They have been pretty obnoxious, though. Yeah. The, and I mean, everyone gets worse on the way up, right? Yep. But, uh, yeah, anyway, we'll see. Uh, they need a defenseman is my big takeaway. The Philadelphia Flyers... <laughs> Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, okay. Departures. Martin Jones, unrestricted free agent to Seattle for one year at $2 million. The surprise isn't that he left Philadelphia, where he was dreadful last year, but that someone else was willing to give him $2 million after how dreadful he was. I mean, Seattle's never made bad goaltending decisions, right? Name even one time that's happened. So, yeah, uh, I very much question Seattle's thinking there, but from the Philadelphia perspective, happy trails to Mr. Jones. Uh, they bought out Oscar Lindblom 
and he went as a UFA to San Jose, two years at 2.5 million. I gotta say, buying out a player who battled back from cancer feels kind of scummy, even if there are cap benefits, which there were based on his age. He's a solid third liner, even if he was a bit overpaid, and it's not like the Flyers did anything that brilliant with the money. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, we always hear how it's a business and everything, but yeah. Also, the it's a business argument gets a lot more credible when you are good at your job in the cold and ruthless business sense, and the Flyers are not. Uh, they traded a 2022 fourth, a 2023 third, and a 2024 second for the signing rights to uh, Tony D'Angelo, who they signed at two years and five million. And they got a seventh back, which obviously changes the whole deal. I, I said this in the Carolina segment, don't pay for power play defenseman points. And especially don't pay for them when they come from a guy who can't play defense and is notoriously an asshole. There is a perspective from which this is a discount purely in a dollars per point sense, but I do not believe that Tony D'Angelo is largely responsible for creating the offense that he is credited for in his box score. I think he can do it competently. I'm not saying he's not an NHL player or that he's not useful offensively, but it feels to me like it's a slight discount on an overpriced asset class, even before you consider that a lot of people who hang out with Tony D'Angelo seem to hate his guts. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I don't think D'Angelo is like a particularly great player. I don't think this is a horrible contract, but I don't think it's a great one either. And I, I don't really want to root for any team that employs Tony D'Angelo, frankly. No. Uh, the Flyers got more unpleasant, and I think that there's an ethic in the Flyers front office, still recalling the Broad Street Bully days where they're okay being the bad guy. But the Broad Street Bullies won two cups, they were also an effective hockey team. Anyway, signings and extensions. They signed John Tortorella to be their head coach. I suspect he will get as much out of this team as can be gotten. I just don't think that's going to be very much. Uh, they signed Nick Delorier four years at $1.75 million. He's a tough fourth-line winger who takes too many penalties and produces very little. Yeah, we the can, four years is absurd. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? So we can sometimes overfocus on these deals because they don't matter that much. You know, it's not that much money. But he's not a very good player, and they gave him term at 31. If he falls off from fourth line to press box, you've just lit about a million dollars on fire. It's fine. You can survive that. It's just the sort of decision where you're like, oh, that tightens the screws on us a little bit. It's, it's a totally unforced error. That's yeah. why... We focus on it. Right? Yeah. It's like the same with, um, like, I don't know, people talk about optimal lineup orders in baseball. And I can think people have done studies on it and they found that it's actually not that impactful. Like over the course of a season, it's worth, I don't know, a handful of runs or whatever. But people get frustrated at it because it's completely avoidable. Right. Like right? it's this, one thing to say that, you know, this isn't that big a deal, but did you have to do it? No. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, exactly. They signed Justin Braun, one year, one million with bonuses. He's an aging defensive defenseman. He used to be good. He's been in decline. He's 35. At this price, it's not a big deal either way, unless you take it as a symptom of the Flyers' entire management <laughs> syndrome. So, yeah, anyway. Are, are they just trying to, like, stealth tank? Maybe it's not even, like, a stealth tank, but, like, D'Angelo's like a reasonable tank commander because you, you can play him 
you can like justify be like hey look we're trying we're trying to do something we're, we signed tony d'angelo but like he's not gonna actually help you win games if he's like your number one defenseman and he'll put up some points occasionally he'll make it look superficially okay but you know it's not gonna be good same with like you know signing justin Braun. they like they sign these adequate people who are going to be respectable but the team is going to be bad right yeah i think what philadelphia is dreaming of is okay we're not really a contending team but we'll put everything together. We'll get this kind of lunch pail, I guess, working class ethos. We're all going to be working hard under Johnny Torts. And we'll sort of scrap our way to a wild card and we'll give our fans a team that they're kind of proud of or identify with. I think that that is their best case scenario uh, from their perspective. Obviously, I wouldn't identify super much with this team, but I'm a nerd. So who knows? Uh, they extended Owen Tippett, two years at $1.5 million. That is a bridge deal for a prospect with a big shot who came over in the Claude Giroux dra- trade to Florida at the deadline. He hasn't done as much as was hoped in the NHL yet, and he's 23, so the clock is kind of ticking. But the Flyers should give him opportunities, because what else are they going to do, uh, as long as he doesn't piss off John Tortorella. Um, you noted that they drafted Cutter Gauthier, fifth overall. Yes. Yes. Um, that's just a... That's a hell of a hockey name and he is not from the who he is born in sweden and represents america <laughs> every day is an adventure i find it kind of interesting this is like this is like as surprising as when i learned anders bjork is like from wisconsin <laughs> it does it does feel strange doesn't it cutter gauthier just feels like like that's a nickname for a french mob enforcer isn't it <laughs> <laughs> they call him the cutter all right uh outlook this team was shaky to begin with last year, and then they suffered major injuries to Ryan Ellis and Sean Couturier, as well as an injury to Kevin Hayes. They can hope for better health, although I do not know what to expect from Ryan Ellis for the rest of his career. And this team needs a full health Couturier just to be competitive. Yeah, in fairness to Philadelphia, that Ellis trade was a good trade for them that just like didn't work out last year yes. due to injuries. Yeah, and now it's it's pretty pretty dicey i mean you have to think nashville also bailed out of that one partly with health in mind i Mm kind of wonder like we looked at it and we said gosh this is a good deal for philadelphia as long as he's healthy yeah and he's not um so i don't know what to expect from him going forward uh hayes deal was an overpay for a decent middle six center and it's not going to get any better as he ages um and he still has four years left on it at 7.14 uh James Van Riemsdyk can still score goals a little bit. He's in the last year of a deal that pays him $7 million, which he is not worth. Uh, this is kind of a jumbled aging mess of a franchise that isn't really sure what's going wrong with it. And so Yeah, I mean, it feels like they should tank this year. Like, I mean, it's tough because like, they have good players. Like, they have Couturier, they have Cam Atkinson. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, if Couturier is healthy, he's phenomenal, of course. As you noted, Hayes and JVR are good but not worth their deals. I wonder if JVR is going to be like a retain 50% trade him at the deadline type deal. He feels very much like that. Um, he does have to maintain his his own health and performance enough that he's even worth acquiring at that price. Mm-hmm. But uh, let me just see here. Yeah, I'm confirming it doesn't look like his deal has any trade protection, which is rare for a big free agent signing. So... Maybe that's to their benefit. Um, this team could make the second wild card in the East if everything lines up for it, but I wouldn't bet on it, frankly. 
Like anything is possible in hockey. Hockey is crazy. Uh, the best teams will sometimes drop. The worst teams will sometimes surge unexpectedly, usually because of goaltending. But if you look at this team as clear-eyed as you can, they've made a bunch of extremely questionable decisions, and now they are living in the present that they built. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Flyers fans are really pissed at their front office. <laughs> yeah, I, happy. I think this team is just sort of aimless right now. Yeah. So, have fun with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Departures, Mike Matheson to Montreal and John Marino to New Jersey. Both trades, both will be discussed in the trade section, which I'm now beginning. The Penguins acquired defender Ty Smith and a 2023 third from New Jersey for defender John Marino. Pittsburgh had to cut salary somewhere, and as usual, this was where they chose to do it. This is the baby version of um, McDonough to Nashville. Yes. It is. In an uncapped league, this trade would look very dumb. It's not an uncapped league, and in the current league, it's comprehensible. Marino wasn't terrific last season, but I expect they will miss him. Ty Smith is a reclamation, as we said. Uh, still young enough that he could do something, but hasn't done a lot yet. Uh, the Penguins also traded defender Michael Matheson, four years at $4.875 million, and a 2023 fourth to Montreal for defender Jeff Petrie and centered Ryan Paling. Matheson looked bad in Florida and better in Pittsburgh. Petrie was once a sneaky great puck-moving defenseman, but this deal is pretty rich for a 34-year-old with some warning lights flashing. Um, Petrie looked I, bad. I, I think Petrie's better than I think most people do still. Petrie looked bad under Ducharme. I, yeah. I I think that is mostly Ducharme. Like, I think Petrie is still pretty good. I could be wrong. He could be, like, totally washed. Like, there's, there's, at this age, there's always, like, nagging injuries that can just rob someone of any ability to, like, pivot, and that is important. Yes. Um, so. But, like, Petrie's stats are still pretty solid. Yeah, and he was an underrated, very good player for a long time. Um, yeah, if you give him a pass under for how bad he looked under Dom Ducharme, as everyone on Montreal did, and it's worth noting, Petrie seemed to publicly call out his coach not long before he got fired. He basically said, like, our plans are not very good. Um, it's not at all impossible to envision Petrie providing short-term value for Pittsburgh by the third year on this contract. How is it oh, looking? Yeah, Probably not I, very I'm, good, but the Pittsburgh I'm, I'm, doesn't I'm, in the future. So. I'm only talking about like this current year because, like, I mean, Pittsburgh's build, building, like, a 35-plus team at this point. Yes. Like, I right. don't know how many kicks at the can they anticipate getting, but it's not too many more. It's all mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Which is, to be clear, the correct thing to do. Yes. Ride that train home. So they extended defender Chris Letang, apparently on this principle, because they gave him six years at 6.1 million. Very gifted puck-moving defenseman with a gruesome injury history who is 35. A team that was future-oriented would not sign this deal. The Pittsburgh Penguins are the opposite of future-oriented. I don't think it's a discount, but he's still been very good in the recent past. So... As long as he can stay semi-healthy, which is a big if for him, he can produce to play uh, for playoff runs in the next couple of years. Um, the end of this deal is not going to be pretty. And maybe the intention is LTIR or whatever else. You can rinse and repeat that for like literally every single contract they've signed. Not literally, but like almost all. <laughs> yes. Uh, they extended forward Ricard Raquel. Capable offensive forward. But I think the days of him scoring 30-plus goals are gone, and I would not want the back half of this deal. 
Once again, Pittsburgh doesn't care about the future. They extended center Evgeny Malkin, four years at $6.1 million. Malkin is arguably not worth this anymore, depending on how you evaluate his production versus his fancy stats, which are no longer very good. Uh, he was still better than point per game in the half season he played, and he was once among the deadliest power forwards in the history of the, of the game. Um, I think it's fine to sign a sentimental contract for a franchise legend. Pittsburgh seems scared of the term risk on this deal, which I would sort of get if they hadn't basically said, fuck it, we'll give everyone term on every other contract right. they signed. It's like, why, why is this the hill you're going to die on? Yeah, like, that was the thing. If they had said, okay, we're cleaning house, not resigning Latang, not resigning Raquel, not resigning anybody, then you could sort of say, well, let him go. But from what they're doing, it, it makes sense. And again, Malkin's and- a franchise legend. Yeah, in for a penny, in for a pound. Exactly. Um, they signed Jan Ruta, four years at $2.75 million. He's a solid defensive defenseman who will no longer be playing with Victor Hedman. So see how that goes. But it's not a super expensive deal. And he's only 32, which means he's now the youngest player on the Pittsburgh Penguins. <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, they extended winger Kasperi Kapanen, two years at $3.2 million. He's a dangerous rush threat who never quite seems to do as much as he should, as Leaf fans, I think, know quite well. Pittsburgh doesn't use him to kill penalties at all, which I find interesting, because Toronto did. Mm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. They extended goalie Casey DeSmith, two years at 1.8, competent backup. They extended forward Danton Heinen, one year at 1 million. I am really surprised he was that cheap. Um, he had 18 goals and 33 points, and he seems to drive play well. Maybe he outweighed his market after Pittsburgh non-qualified him, or maybe he just didn't want to move. But this deal has, I think, a sneaky amount of upside, whereas a lot of these other deals are like, maybe it'll be okay for a year or two, and then the end is going to come. Outlook. Sidney Crosby is still a superstar, and that's basically the story of Pittsburgh. They took on several deals with term risk that is basically saying, burn the boats. When the end comes for Pittsburgh, it is going to be ugly. But as it stands, they should still be a playoff team, and then who knows? Um, I think the other door that they could have chosen to walk through, where they basically asked Sidney Crosby to wave and trade him and let Malkin and Latang walk and jump on the inevitable rebuild, all of that makes logical sense, but it's not how teams operate. And there is an excellent chance... Um, Sydney Cro- like Sydney Crosby is the best player that the Penguins have going forward for like a hundred years. Although um, knowing the Penguins, yeah, I, was I mean the, the lottery will get rigged, but <laughs> well, it's crazy that Yarmer Yager's the third best Penguin of the last forty years. Yeah, like that is. Yarmer Yager would be the best Leaf ever, like, and it's not close. Yeah, like I would say, you could say Yager is a top ten player of all time, probably. Yeah. Um, and Crosby definitely is. Lemieux is maybe number two. Um, a, a reasonable question to ask is, like, who would you take the all-time teams of, like, Pittsburgh and Edmonton combined or literally every other team in hockey ever? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's almost insane to contemplate. Anyway, so I guess that's all to say that even though they did a bunch of things that we know and that they know are going to end badly... They're still trying to capitalize on the career of Crosby, who remains 
fucking fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like he's an insanely good player. So, yeah, one more go round on the carousel, and they'll keep they'll keep doing it. Um, the only thing I will say is that when the end comes in Pittsburgh, it will sting. I said this about San Jose, and conveniently they're our next team. And the end in San Jose is now here, and it's pretty painful. So it very much is. Yeah, but probably Pittsburgh is still a playoff team. I think so. The Sharks. They bought out Rudolph Spalsers, uh, who signed with Florida one year at 750K. As you pointed out in our last episode, this seemed unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Like, he's a player with good fancy stats, passable depth production, and his contract was only $1.55 million. Not a huge deal, just seemed unnecessary. Uh, and Brent Burns went to Carolina. We will discuss that under trades. Uh, they got Luke Coonan, as I mentioned, under Nashville, and then they extended him two years at 2.75. I think this was kind of silly. He can ship in 10 to 15 goals, so that almost makes it worth it, but he doesn't do anything else. Um, yeah. I, it, it doesn't matter what they... This is just like... Yeah. This is just shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Like, the yeah. the crux of it is, like, they have the Eric Carlson and Mark Edward Lassett contracts, and those are just awful. Yeah, it's um, it's brutal, man. Anyway, uh, they traded defender Brent Burns at 34% retention and an NHL forward for a fourth-line forward in Stephen Lorenz, a goalie prospect in Ichu Makanyemi, and a 2023 third. This isn't so much a bad deal as it's an inadequate deal. Like, I'm not saying it wasn't worth doing, and I assume they canvassed the market, and this was the best they were going to do. But they got rid of two-thirds of Brent Burns' contract for a minimal return. Burns was the most tradable of their three massive defense overpays. As you mentioned, Eric Carlson and Mark Edward Blazek are not going anywhere. And I guess if a rebuild is coming anyway, it's better to get something than nothing. Because Burns was 37. But this is like one rung above why bother. Like, it's fine, but it does not fix almost anything significant for them. No, and to be honest, I feel like the Sharks should just, I don't know, it's, I don't think the Sharks should be like necessarily made fun of for being in this position in a sense of like, okay, look, they, they had a good run. They tried a lot. They were a very good team for a very long time. This is the end. Yeah. Right. And they should, I think, sort of just like accept that. Like, okay, we're just going to wait this shit out to the extent possible. Hopefully trade things when, when when we can hopefully LTIR things when we can and that's it because I don't see what else they could do the problem is like waiting it out is like kind of rough because Couture is making 8 million for the next four, 5 years Top Hurdle who is good now but yeah. is 28 is signed for like the next 6 years or 7 years it, it's just they have to wait a long time but I don't really see what else they can do considering like all these guys have no move or no trade losses too yeah and they're now in this situation where it's just like, I, I mean, San Jose has always been very afraid of a rebuild of not competing for playoffs. They don't think that they can, um, they can still be a viable franchise for long doing that has been the rumor. But I think they're nearing the point of a rebuild is upon you, whether you would risk it or not. Yeah. They're going to find out. Yeah. <laughs> like this. Anyway, uh, they took the money that they saved and signed a bunch of weird mid-level extensions and and UFAs. Uh, they extended defender Mario Ferraro four years at 3.25 million. 
He is a passable young defender who plays solid minutes and apparently strangles his own team's offense. I'm uncertain how much of that is really his fault. So if you give him a pass on that, he looks like a fine, quiet second pair defenseman. Um, they signed forward Oscar Lindblom, two years at $2.5 million. Uh, good for Oscar. They signed forward Nico Sturm, three years at $2 million. I don't know why he commanded that much as a fourth-line center who was a competent face-off man and otherwise just a role player. He shows okay by, by play driving, and his name is now on the cup because he was flipped by the Wild to the Avs at the trade deadline. He scored zero goals in 34 games for the Avs, but whatever. The engraver doesn't care. Uh, they extended goalie Capo Kakonen, two years, $2.75 He was good for the Sharks last year as a tandem goalie. The Sharks now have three goalies in this same price range. Kakonen, Reimer, James Reimer, uh, and Aiden Hill. So presumably they're going to trade somebody. Um, and they extended Marcus Nudivara and Matt Benning. That's fine. These are six seven Ds. Uh, Nudivara is coming off a string of injuries, and he might prove to be a little better than that if he recovers. Anyway, the big takeaway here is the Sharks are trapped. They have too much money in turn committed to aging players. They are locked in as a below-average team. They would have to get a lot of other things right to compensate for the fact that they're paying $18 million to Carlson and Vlasic this year and for several years to come. I, I'm, I'm not saying that you couldn't build a very successful team in spite of that, but you would have to almost never make another mistake. You know what I mean? Like, it's such mm. a, a deficit to overcome. It really and, is. Yeah, and I don't think anything they've done is going to overcome it. So best of luck to Mike Greer, their new GM. It's going to be a long one. Okay, uh, that is the end of the teams that I did the primary notes on, so I will talk less, which is good. My throat is getting scratchy. Marvin, <laughs> over to you. Awesome. So the next team on the list are the Seattle Kraken. So Seattle had a rough year. I think, you know, with the benefit of a year's hindsight, we were saying this at the time, but you could probably also now just fairly say it generally. They kind of screwed the pooch in expansion. Mm -hmm. Um. People thought that they left sort of some value on the table and they tried to be maybe overly ambitious in terms of what they could command to um, from other teams in exchange for, you know, expansion favors. Now, despite that, people thought they would be pretty good last year. Not great, but like respectable. And as it turns out, they were not. They were really, really bad. And the primary reason was goaltending. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll talk about how they how they went about fixing that, but I just want to keep that in mind. It's like, okay, this is this was an okay team who had bad goaltending. Yeah, in terms I wanna, of... Sorry, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to note, we said last year, the defense should be decent. Um, they might not score enough. I thought they would score more than they did, but their defense actually does appear to have been pretty decent. It's just their goaltending fell down into a sewer and died. Mm -hmm. And few teams can survive that. So, yes, sorry. as... As you mentioned before, um, Kevin Nankin was the 118th best goaltender in the league last year, and Philip Grubauer was the 119th and worst. And yeah, you only get that far if you're playing a lot and you're playing really badly. Yes. Only five years to go, though, on the contract. Yes. So <laughs> in terms of departures, uh, Seattle lost Austin Jarnik, who signed with Detroit, and Hayden Fleury, who signed with Tampa Bay. Um, if there is reason for, or for optimism for the Kraken, 
it's their offensive acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So as as you said, Fulman, like their their offense wasn't phenomenal last year. Uh, and it probably still doesn't project to be amazing, but it'll be better because they acquired Oliver Bjorkstrand for a 2023 third via Calgary and a 2023 fourth via Winnipeg. Um, so we talked about this with the Blue Jackets the last time. This is just a really good deal from uh, from Seattle's perspective. They they traded very, very little and got an excellent player, um, you know, borderline first-line player who has four more years at $5.4 million. He should be around this level for basically all of that contract because he's, he's currently 27. So... You know, A plus on that. Um, for, it should also be noted that Seattle has, by reputation, at least a bunch of pretty smart people in their front office. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I expect them to make pretty good moves generally. Uh, you know, notwithstanding that they did clearly make some mistakes last year. Um, but you know, I, I don't. I also don't really blame them too heavily for Grubauer imploding because that sort of just happens, and Grubauer was sort of a reasonable bet to, to for this to occur. I mean, he was. People thought he would be worse than um, his numbers showed, but I don't think they thought he'd be the worst goaltender in the league. I think that if anyone is claiming clairvoyance on that, I'm a, a little skeptical unless they show receipts. Mm-hmm. Anyways, signing and extensions, they re-signed Ryan Donato, a year 1.2 million. They signed Michael Kepney from Washington for 750k. Those are just kind of whatever. Donato's like decent, so that's fine. Nothing super... Um, you know, notable to remark on there. Uh, they signed Martin Jones from Philly, one year, two million. So we, we talked about this, you know, obliquely from the Philly perspective. Now, remember, this is, this was their biggest concern and they signed Martin Jones to fix it. So. <laughs> yeah, I have to tell you, I think that that's a bad idea. And I especially right. don't understand. I know goaltending is a crazy market. But it's baffling to me that he still commanded two million at this point. Even if you think he's a reclamation project, he shouldn't be this pricey. But I, I would think so as well. And I mean, we spent a lot of time poring over kind of goaltending options this year because of the Leafs, and I think it's fair to say we're not exactly thrilled with what the Leafs decided to do. Mm-hmm. But I think I'd ra- I'd rather have Matt Murray or Ilya Samsonov than uh, Martin Jones, and yes. I don't think it's close. I would rather have almost any NHL goaltender than Martin Jones. God bless like, him, but no. <laughs> I, I feel like, I mean, Martin Jones must be like a very pleasant person because he's been a bad goalie for a long time. A long time? It feels like most of Matt, Martin Jones's career would be like, this guy kind of sucks. Yeah, well, he was in San Jose and yeah. it wasn't working out there. And he went to Philadelphia and we were like, oh, well, this is a mistake. And then it was. And now he's in Seattle, where, again, I, I mean, goalies being what they are, he could absolutely show me up. Mm-hmm. But I I really do not get this bet at all. But whatever. Yeah, I mean, to the extent that there's any optimism around, or that there should be any optimism around the Seattle's goaltending situation, it should just be Grubauer is unlikely to be as bad as he was last year, you would think. The only thing about Grubauer is he was so bad, it is tempting to look for other explanations as to how he came to be that bad. Mm-hmm. And you would hope Seattle is alert to that and is striving to fix whatever the hell went so badly wrong. It's one of those weird things where if he was like run of the mill bad, we would like revise our estimates more of him in some way than because he was so cataclysmic. We're like, oh well, he like must have been suffering something horrible. Right? Yeah, so like this like, can't be his actual <laughs> level. Yeah, and we're yeah we may almost be more forgiving of a worse season because it seems so out of proportion. Mm-hmm. that we have to think something else weird was going on. Anyway, maybe maybe not. 
Yeah. Um, they also signed Justin Schultz from Washington, two years, three million. Um, every, as with last week, anytime I mention a dollar figure, that's AAV, not total contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, again, Schultz is fine. All of these signings don't really move the needle. The one that may is that they signed Andre Burakovsky from Colorado, five years, five and a half mil. Um, Burakovsky has been a very, very consistent point producer in Colorado. He has some ability to drive play, but is not transcendent at that by any stretch. I think the, the question is, you know, how does this generalize outside the Colorado incubator of talent? Um, and I, I think it's a reasonable thing to, it's a reasonable question to ask. I think sometimes people go too far with it in the sense of like, well, Makar is only good because of McKinnon, who's only good because of Tapes, who's only good because of Makar, who's only good because of Burkowski, who's only good because of Cash. Like, it's like, at some point, it's like, well, who, someone has to be good here. Yes. Someone has to be very good here. So, um, And I think really what made Colorado a good team is that they're playing great players like Burakovsky on second lines and not first lines, right? Um, so I, I, I think Burakovsky is like a legit good player. Um, that said, if you want to believe there are team effects there, I can also see that argument. Uh, his finishing ability took a big jump up when he got to Colorado, whereas he was like a good but not great finisher in his time in Washington. And you could think, oh, maybe that's a teammate effect or just, you know, something systemic than what Colorado is doing or the types of players they have that give him better chances um, or, or give him chances that are actually better but don't look better by XG or anything like that. Um, at the same time, he was like 23 or 24 when he left Washington, so that could just also be natural growth. Yeah, I, it's all on the table there. I mean, you can envision a downside scenario here where Burakovsky falls off a little bit in finishing, settles back down around being like a 40-point kind of player, and then this is a little bit rich. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think he's a good player, and their their forward group is better for having him, for sure. I Yeah, I that's sort of where I land as well. I think they're in an okay spot. Their roster is fine, not amazing. They should be a bubble team. And goaltending aside, you know, they've improved their roster pretty notably through the additions of Burakovsky and Bjorkstrand. Um, again, one of the benefits of being an expansion team is that you typically don't have any big mistakes on your books. The only one that looks like it could be a big mistake now is Grubauer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think on that, we're going to, I guess, wait and see what happens this year. And that'll probably determine a lot over of whether, you know, how, how, how big a mistake that uh, acquiring that deal was. Um, so as you can imagine, goaltending is still just like a huge, huge, huge question for them. It's not one that I think they have a really satisfactory answer for. So, you know, it is what it is. If Grubauer returns to being a good starting goalie, which would be obviously a huge reversal from last season, but would not be that crazy in light of what he did before last season. Um, this team can contend for a wild card spot in the West, which as we've said is not, especially stacked through the middle. As it stands, I don't think they're quite good enough. And it is worth noting, they did trade Mark Giordano to a infamous blue and white team mm-hmm. uh, where he resigns, so they will miss him. That, that's a loss that maybe isn't accounted for entirely because obviously it happened during the season. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they have some hope to be better and they almost like their goaltending almost can't be worse. Right. So uh, also worth noting, uh, they drafted Shane Wright. That's probably the most important thing they did this offseason in terms of their long-term franchise health. Um, if he's as good as people expected him to be 12 months ago, then Seattle got kind of their first infusion of possibly elite level star talent. Yes. And that would be huge for them. I also don't think they have a bad situation necessarily. 
You know, they don't have any real name centers. They got Yanni Gord to kind of do that. They have Jared McCann. They have Alexander Wenberg. But they can put Wright in and not demand the moon and the stars from him in mm. his first season if they decide to put him in the NHL, which I think they will, but we'll see. Um, yeah, I, like, I, I think that this sets up to be an okay growth season for Seattle. And it's just a question of how good did they really expect that they were going to be at this stage. Right. Okay, um, moving on to the St. Louis Blues. So the St. Louis Blues lost uh, Billy Huso, who we discussed last week, or not last week, a few weeks ago, signed three-year, nearly $5 million contract in Detroit. David Perron signed a two-year, almost $5 million contract in Detroit. Dakota Joshua signed a two-year 825k contract with Vancouver. I'm not sure why I put him on here. He's not that significant a loss. He used to be a Leaf prospect. Oh, okay. That's why. He's actually, for some reason, he's burned into my mind, the name Dakota Joshua, because I always think of Dakota Johnson, who's mm. an actress. And then I'm like, oh, that's, that's probably not the same person. But <laughs> <laughs> Dakota Johnson has a great slap shot. <laughs> People are saying more and more. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so trades, the Huso departure was actually a trade for a signing rights. St. Louis acquired um, the 73rd overall pick in the most recent NHL draft, who they used to select Alexanteri Kaskamaki. Um, so that was the only trade of note. Signings and extensions, some relatively inconsequential ones, Clean Costin, Martin Furk, Josh Levo, all one year 750k. Noel Achari from Florida, one year, 1.25 million. Low-key, a solid signing in my opinion. Um, Achari is often injured, but he's a solid depth center when he plays. So he's just, he's just a useful player to have around. Yeah, um, bit of a gamble in the sense of availability, but at that price, yes, why not, right? Exactly. Uh, Thomas Grice was signed from Detroit, so I mean, Detroit and uh, St. Louis kind of swapped goaltenders in some respects. Um, one year, 1.25 million. They re-signed Nick Letty, who they acquired at the trade deadline from Detroit last year. Um, last year, So they traded Oscar Sundqvist and a second router to acquire Nick Letty, and then they re-signed uh, Nick Letty, which is for four years, four million. That is far more than he is currently worth, in my opinion. One thing I wanted to note, I, I just sort of realized this now, this trade completely skipped over me during the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we criticized Eiserman in Detroit for the Letty trade because he traded a second round pick for Nick Letty, and we're like, Nick Letty's not that good. Why are you doing that? Mm-hmm. And then he just immediately flipped him for a second round pick. So, I I guess it worked out fine. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, you know, and I think Steve Eisenman is demonstrably quite a good GM, even if he makes the occasional decision I question. But The Athletic did a poll on front office confidence, Mm -hmm. and Detroit came in third behind Colorado and Tampa, who were the Stanley Cup finalists. And I said, that feels a little premature. And I did say that Detroit has a defense group that I wouldn't trust to shut down a desktop computer. And I got an extremely angry response (laughs) from the Detroit Red Wings fan base who felt that I wasn't giving Steve Eisenman enough credit, um, especially for what he did in Tampa. So at this point, it's like, is Nick Letty just better than we think he is? Or is it just that Eisenman is maybe misestimating him, but he's misestimating him in in line with the rest of the NHL, so it kind of doesn't matter as much. Yeah, I, I don't think Letty is like particularly good. It's just, I guess, Eiserman was more in line with the market than I thought he was. So anyways, that's yeah. uh, that's an aside. Uh, they also signed Rob Thomas to an eight-year, $8.125 million extension that takes effect in 2023-2024. Um, I should say Robert Thomas. Rob Thomas is like the, the singer. 
<laughs> oh, it's a hot one. All right. Um, uh, so Thomas is a superstar. This is a really good deal. Uh, comparing to, I don't know, like some of the other young player contracts that we, we saw signed. Like, I guess Josh Norris. I forget the exact dollar figures for Josh Norris, but like, I would less. rather... Sorry? Yeah, slightly less. Yeah, but I'd rather have Rob, Robert Thomas for this contract than Josh Norris on his. Um, just because I, I think Thomas is a more complete uh, player. I think his play driving ability it certainly looks better by the stats. The thing that always popped off the page to me with Thomas when watching him is not the play driving ability so much as the passing and his like awareness of the te- of the players and the situation around him. He is, I think, one of the best passers in the league. He's also one of the most pass first players in the league. He's, mm-hmm. you know, not he doesn't shoot that much, uh, and he is kind of brushing up on the limit of how good you can be as an offensive player without really being an outstanding, you know, elite a gunner or shot producer in his own right it's just because he gets in these good positions and he get he you're like oh he's gonna shoot he's gonna shoot and then he passes and somehow every single time it fools you yes right so um you know st louis as a team is sort of a very pass happy team um and a lot of people think this is why they've outperformed xg a little bit um but i think that is most exemplified through thomas who is is kind of one of the most pass forward players in the league or one of the most kind of obvious examples of this player archetype yeah um if i were a defensive uh ottawa senators fan a class of person that i'm sure has never existed uh, i would say that joshua norris had 35 goals last year and robert thomas had 20 and Mm -hmm. you guys were still positive but perhaps a little hesitant and approving the Josh Norris deal in the same ringing tones. To be clear, I think the Norris deal is fine. And yeah, it's fine. Very good. Um, but Thomas drives offense to a massive extent. He had 77 points last year. And he did get 20 goals, which is enough that, as you say, the shot threat is credible, even if he's a pass-first player. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if this is a discount, per se, but... No, I think it's a fair deal, but I think it's like yeah. essentially anytime you sign a superstar to a superstar RFA to a fair deal, I'm like, okay, that is a good deal. I wonder what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so definitely, if you're locking up players of this caliber for term, again, you know, I just mentioned that uh, Cam Turan quote where it's identify your star core players at a young age, sign them for term. This is a good example of that. Mm-hmm. So the Blues overall outlook. Um, as I said, they defied a lot of models last year and being as good as they were. On paper, they got a little bit worse this offseason. Um, and I think the big one is the loss of Vili Huso. So they had sort of like a, a tandem with between Huso and Bennington. Huso kind of won it in the regular season, then Bennington kind of won it in the playoffs. Um, but they kind of needed Huso in the regular season. They did. And, and I think contract status basically guaranteed they would go back to Bennington because he's got yes. five years left at $6 million, But Right. And yeah. So... They replace him with Thomas Grice, who is not great. Yeah, I don't think he's very good anymore. So they're they're kind of hitching their wagon to Bennington, which is risky, right? Uh, we've seen Bennington have success, but he also was kind of bad for most of last year. Yeah. There's like a sneaky age-out scenario here for St. Louis. Yes. You know, they've got these big deals to Braden Chen, Justin Falk, Tory Krug, Colton Pareko, Nick Letty. Yeah, their, their defense is like 
full of guys who are like you know a year or two older than you think and they're signed pretty deep so like the back end of those contracts don't look really good um i think losing perron is rough i mean we talked about we you know bigged up david perron last uh podcast from detroit's perspective so it makes sense that we feel that this is a loss for st louis um perron is you know for a team that is sort of built on shooting ability perron's a very good shooter they didn't really adequately replace perron in my opinion um, so they are going to miss him. Yeah. And I, as I said, I don't really like the Nicoletti acquisition or contract signing. So there, there's like a lot of things I don't like here, and yet they were a very, very good team last year. And they've dropped off a bit, but probably not enough to like take them out of the playoff hunt or anything like that. Um, yeah. they, they still do have some really great players. like, And, and their offensive style still seems like it. It makes sense. They have great passers like Thomas and O'Reilly. They have great shooters like Puchnevich and Tarasenko. You know, it's it's something that makes sense. It's just there, there there are some warning lights, and I can see the end coming like a year earlier than we expect. That's fair. I think St. Louis has done a great job historically of hanging around being a pretty good team, and then the year they won the cup, they sort of came together and took a big step forward as a great team. And I think that since then, they've dropped back down to pretty good. And the substance of these changes is maybe that they get a little bit worse. But they'll stick around in that second tier. Um, yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think they're, they're still... Like, I think there's still, still a good argument that they're the second best team in the Central. Yeah, like, but between them and Minnesota, Minnesota. and, I guess, maybe Nashville. Mm-hmm. Like the, the t- there's no one else in the central who really took a step up, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to unseat them, basically. Yeah. Um, okay, so that's that's probably enough. We can talk about Tampa Bay now. So be it. So Tampa Bay, um, as mentioned, the big trade here was getting rid of Ryan McDonough to basically cap dumping him to Nashville um, for Phil Myers, who they then essentially... Uh, signed an extension to which takes effect 2023-2024 for one year 1.4 million mm-hmm. right so my, as we said Myers is like fine seventh D third pair type whatever you know it's, it's, it's Tampa they'll take these crappy defensemen and they'll make them playable on a third pair <laughs> it was ever thus yeah yeah um, they also lost Andre Palat as we discussed signed with New Jersey so the Lightning will miss Palat obviously just a really really solid player always came up huge in the playoffs Andre Palat has like 40 career playoff goals, which is like kind of crazy. It just shows you how many games Tampa has played in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, they had that run to the finals in, what was it, 2015? Yeah, against and, the Blackhawks. Yeah, and then they've hung around as a playoff team, and then they uh, won two cups, so that's eight series, and then they made the finals last year. That's another four. So he's had ample opportunity to show how good he is. Yes. Um, no other trades, just the aforementioned McDonough trade. So this makes the Lightning worse next year. Mm-hmm. obviously but they're not doing this because they think it'll make them a better team they're doing it because they have to get cap compliant so the fact that they got out of the mcdonough contract scot-free is kind of quite impressive in of itself and it shows that they're relatively ruthless when they have to be foreshadowing 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 <laughs> um so signings and extensions they let's get rid of the kind of inconsequential ones hayden flurry from seattle a year 762.5k ian cole from carolina a year three million that's fine depth um, Vladislav Nemesnikov from uh, he was on Detroit then got traded to Dallas one year 2.5 million 
So those are all fine. The big thing that Tampa did is they have committed to their core beyond this current iteration of players. Or have they? Let me, I'll, I'll get into that. That's what we call in the business a tease. <laughs> um, so they extended Mikhail Sergachev eight years, eight and a half million, starting 2023-2024. Extended Anthony Sorelli eight years, 6.25 million, starting 2023-2024. Extended Eric Chernak eight years, 5.2 million, starting 2023-2024. Extended Nick Paul um, seven years, 3.15 million, starting this season. So basically, these are all really, really, really long-term bets on the guys they think are going to take over from the Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman core, right? And players like Vasilevsky and points are going to be bridges between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, these are also bets on a rising salary cap, which I think make these look better. I'd say Sergachev is the contract I like the least of these because I think, it, I mean, it's the richest. And I think because Sergachev has been sort of behind Hedman and behind McDonough for so long, we actually haven't seen him in like a super robust role he's not like super sheltered or anything but it's just like he he, he hasn't played the super toughs or anything like that yeah so it's that just like weird situation where he was a quasi third pair defenseman even though he played more that's gonna end now yes so now he is like eating at the big boy table with no no qualifiers whatsoever mm-hmm. so i it's just we haven't you're, at this point you're paying him to be an upper echelon defenseman right like that's probably like within the top 10 defenseman contracts in the league so you're paying him to be an upper half of the league um, number one D, right? Right. So I don't know that he will necessarily get there or not because I'm low on Sergeyev in particular, but just because that's a high bar, and I don't know if he's totally demonstrated it yet. Doesn't mean he can't. Just means this is the contract of these ones that I'm like most leery of. Um, Anthony Soretti, kind of perennial Selkie threat in the non-Patrice Bergeron division, which I guess will will start to be the real division after next season. Um, Trinac is like a rugged, dependable, and very strong defensively. Uh, defenseman. So these two don't have amazing offensive gifts, which is why they came in cheaper. Um, and that make them that might make them sort of ill-suited for super top-end roles. Like, you maybe don't want Anthony Sarelli to be your number one center. You maybe don't want Eric Chernak to be your number one defenseman, which I guess he won't be because they're going to have Circus signed forever as well. And they have point um, to play ahead of Chirelli. Exactly. But like the, I think these are reasonable. I think Dom Deschutins' model actually thinks these contracts are like sort of negative. And I, I, I get that. Like, they might be a little more than what they've demonstrated they can do right now. But I think these players are very good. They've proven themselves over a fairly long period of time. And with a rising cap, I think these bets actually have some pretty severe upside. Because if they hit, they're going to be pretty good value because the cap is going to go up and these guys are going to be making the same amount of money. Now, the downside is, well, what if these guys don't really improve, right? They're not super young or anything. So I don't think we could really re- expect a huge improvement. But, you know more marginal changes well then there's potentially a big downside right because you're paying eight million or so you're, you're paying these guys for eight years for contracts that they're not worth but the trade protection in these deals is decreasing in time mm-hmm. so these guys all have some level of trade protection but the trade protection for each one of these deals decreases after i think year four to the point where they only have modified no trade clauses at that point mm-hmm. so in conjunction with the cap rising, these deals, even if they don't age well, are not going to be incredibly onerous four years down the road. Right. Which means I think Tampa would be able to get out of them the way they did the McDonough deal if they need to. Or at least I think that's what they're betting on to some extent. And then in the meantime, they are committing to these guys because they need to keep these guys to be 
a good slash great team in the last year. So Stamkos, Kucherov, and Hedman. Right. And so there's a clear logic here. There's obviously a, co- a coherent plan because they did the same thing repeatedly. Um, yeah, I think that my ingrained respect for Tampa makes me think more favorably about most of these deals than I normally would. Mm-hmm. They're all good players, so I think that's fine. But there are teams that have fallen in love with their own core. Right. And... and have sought to recapture the magic and of course it's been a great core they've been the best team in the nhl for the last few seasons well and and tampa's success so far has been based on in large part them knowing who they can retain and who they shouldn't Mm -hmm. right like they they said you know i mean i guess it's a bit maybe i'm giving them too much credit because they they signed these guys and then traded them away you know under under cap duress but like you know uh, jt miller and tyler johnson and, and, and whoever you know, they were eventually able to get rid of them. They, they've often bet on their ability to move on from guys that, they, that they've that they signed to contracts, you know, perhaps prematurely. And they've more often than not been correct. Mm-hmm. So I think they're sort of just betting on that again. I didn't mention Nick Paul. Uh, fuck Nick Paul. <laughs> but, okay, the Nick Paul thing is I'm like, I'm a little... Iffy on that, they they really like him, and you know what? Yeah. They thought he was a playoff player, and he showed up big in the playoffs. So you know what? Uh, Tampa knows what they're doing. It's just like, do you give this guy seven years at three point one five? Yeah, uh, but the thing is, it's just like the bar for three point one five is not that high. No, that's true. He doesn't have to be that good to pay out on it, and he's right. not old. So yeah, so I I think I don't know. I th- maybe again, maybe I'm being too kind to Tampa here because I think. A lot of people thought these are these are overpays, but yeah. and they're certainly not without risk. But I think they make sense, and I can I can very easily see the world where Nick Paul is like completely fine on his deal. And there's also a world where like you know in the latter parts of that deal, it looks really really good. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean I think the bigger risk to some extent for Tampa, not so much a risk, it's just a reality, is that like none of these guys are as good as Stamkos, Kucherov, or Hedman. Yeah, uh, like Tampa had a preposterous level of talent. Even aside from Kucherov, Stamkos, and Hedman, look at the forwards that they've spun off in the last few years. Mm-hmm. JT Miller, Andre Palat, Barclay, uh, good, sorry, Cole, uh, Blake, Blake Coleman, Coleman. Yeah. Um, Barclay Goodrow, uh, Yanni Gourd, um, Tyler Johnson. Like, this, they had Carter Verhage pass through. <laughs> they had Carter Verhage pass through just because. Like, and believe, briefly, before that, Jonathan Marcheseau. Like, yeah. you could form, a, a, like, the forward group of a near contender just from guys Tampa has let go in the last few years. And so, some of their success was just due to the fact that they had a preposterous wealth of talent. And I don't know that it was really possible to do anything but go down from there. Right. I mean, so, it's just like the reality is this, this, I should add Vasilevsky to this core as well, because, yeah. um, you know, he's, he's very important to it, but he's going to be a part of this team going forward. But with, with Stamkos, Kucherov, and Hedman, they have, uh, those are guys who have all won major NHL trophies, mm-hmm. right? Either Hart trophies, Norris trophies, or Richards. Yeah. Right. I, I don't They're think they're all probably going to make the Hall of Fame. Oh, 100%. Um, I don't think anyone on their team is going to win a major trophy 
going forward, except possibly Vasilevsky for Vesna. I guess Sorelli could win the Selkie. I think that's like a step down from from Hart, yeah. Norris, Rocket, or Art Ross. Yeah. And so I guess what we're saying here basically is that Tampa was inevitably getting worse. They've gotten worse. They're probably they're getting worse in a way that makes sense. That still leaves them in the contending tier, mm-hmm. but they're declining. If the Leafs get decent starting goaltending, I will pick them to finish ahead of Tampa this season. Yes. Also, Tampa doesn't give a shit about the regular season. No, and they at this point, give they should at all. They, they probably shouldn't because, as we said, Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman, and a lot of the parts of their team are getting older, and you just want them healthy and ready for the playoffs. They, they don't need to prove anything to anyone. If an NHL team were to begin serious load management, the, the way that we sometimes see in the NBA, I would expect it to be Tampa. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Okay. Um, yeah, so basically Tampa's really good. Uh, and they've gotten worse, but in a way that is entirely predictable, as you said, and makes sense. Uh, Vancouver Canucks uh, departures. Brad Hunt signed with Colorado. I don't know who Brad Hunt is. Uh, Matthew Highmore signed with St. Louis. I don't know who Matthew Highmore is either. Yaroslav Halak signed with the New York Rangers. I know who he is. Okay, cool. That's that's important. Yeah, trades none. Yeah, busy busy offseason in Vancouver. Um, really, the only thing of note they did. I two things of note. One was. Sign Ilya Mikheyev. Uh, this is more than I'd want to pay Mikheyev. He'll be 28 when the season starts. Yeah, four years at 4.75. Yes, sorry, I should yeah. mention that. Um, Mikheyev has some legit traits. He is very, very fast. I 100% buy his PK ability. I think that will travel with him wherever he goes. No reservations about that. At this salary, they need his offense to be... His individual offense, I should say, to be closer to what it was last year than either of his first two seasons. Um, his blade driving last year was ridiculous. It was rated phenomenally. And a chunk of that was from a shockingly good third line with David Kampf and Pierre Engvall. Uh, and on that third line, him rushing up the wing was really the only form of consistent offense. And occasionally Pierre Engvall would rush up the wing. But that, you know, that's basically it. That was not really a cycle line. That was like, let's get the puck into the offensive zone and throw it on net and then crash the net. And that is it. That's our, that's our plan A. And that's yeah. also our plan B. And that's also our plan C through Z. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm skeptical about how that offensive play driving and to be clear McCabe did very very well in this role Um, he was a good player last year there's no way around that and the Leafs are going to miss him Mm -hmm. and none of this is to say McCabe is not a good player or not like not a player that Leafs will miss right he he absolutely is both of those things the thing I'm skeptical about is how he translates when he has to play alongside better players now, this is a bit of an eye test argument because his lines with Tavares and Kerfoot were good towards the last year. His lines with Nylander and Tavares had some issues in small sample sizes. Um, but, you know, last year you look at the numbers and even when playing with a player like John Tavares and, you know, offensive, a more offensively minded player like him and Kerfoot, those lines were really, really good. When you look at the years prior, it sometimes didn't always work. And Mikheyev's last season was rated high, but much more highly by isolated threat and RAPM than either of his first two. He wasn't a bad play driver in either of his first two years, but not to the same degree as he was last year. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, I I don't know if they paid for the outlier to some extent. Yeah. I think that where I would come down on Ilya Mikheyev is that this is a modestly bad deal. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's severe. A lot of Leaf fans are treating it like it's laughable that he got paid in this range. I don't think so. I, 
my guess as to his market before he went was four by 4.5. And so him coming in slightly above that does not surprise me at all. Um, And I think he'll be good for them. It's just the situation Vancouver is in right now, where they are capped out as a not very good team. um, You certainly notice if you end up overpaying a guy by a million, 1.5, 2 million. Right. And also the thing that I didn't mention is like, if his shooting falls off, that's the real danger. Because the play driving I sort of buy is at least positive. Maybe it's not as good as it was last year. But, you know, McCabe is, as we've covered, he's strong, he is fast, um, he is rangy, he is an absolute puck hound, and he has a really high revving motor. All of those, I think, will travel. What really changed last year was that he started converting on his chances. Mm -hmm. And he had not really done that in either of his first two seasons. Yes. You know, if they consistently get the guy who scores at this rate they'll be over the moon about it oh he's 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 if mikhaev does four years at his and that they're exactly the same as his most recent year he is worth this contract no doubt yeah he'll be a 30 goal man on a regular basis if he does um that was the pace he was on uh yeah i don't i said i certainly don't hate this deal i just don't think i envy it i wouldn't want the leafs to sign it but i think it's fine Mm -hmm. and i you know there is some potential for for upside there yes um, the other thing they did is they re-signed Brock Besser, three years, $6.65 million. Besser was sort of like a mini Patrick Laine. Um, he came into the league, was like an amazing shooter who didn't do much else. Mm-hmm. And as his career has progressed, the shooting has come back down to earth. And he's like okay at other things. He's not like as bad at, as Laine, at like everything besides shooting. But like the Laine contract I don't really like this deal it's not crippling I don't think it's nearly as bad as the Laine contract but it feels like it just doesn't really do a lot for the Canucks it's kind of neither it's neither you know committing to saying okay Besser isn't going to be a guy we should like move him or or we should you know figure out a way to, to move him for value nor is it saying Besser is going to be part of our team that's sign him long term and part of that is because they were capped out and they didn't really have the ability to sign him long term I don't think so it's just like it's kind of treading water um, when he yeah when he expires. I don't think he'll be like a hugely valuable trade asset either. So it, it's I think this is like I'm sort of nonplussed by this deal. I I get it on the have good players keep good players principle. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy who can do what he's done is not uh, nothing. Uh, even though his goal scoring, as you say, has fallen off a little bit, his shooting has fallen off a little bit. Um. I think the Canucks are in a bit of a weird situation where, and maybe this is just bad team-itis as you try and exit um, a rebuild, where they're too attached to some of the better players on what was a not very good team. Mm, that's a, I think that's an astute comment. Yeah, and so they're saying, okay, well, we can't lose this guy. This guy was really important. But they're they're now wrestling with the reality that they do have to make some changes and some upgrades to get where they want to go. And they like if they let JT Miller walk to free agency, I think that that is an unequivocal mistake. Yes, yeah, I was I was gonna say they should probably trade JT Miller this season, and whether they do or don't is a good sign of where they think this team is slash should be. They haven't stupidly chased wins this off season, mm-hmm. but it's one thing to do that, and it's another thing to kind of stupidly forego the opportunity to give up present wins for future wins when those present wins aren't that valuable which is not nearly as catchy uh, a term <laughs> but that that's those are equally valuable because that's still an opportunity cost yes and you know 
since Jim Benning was finally given the boot and being been replaced by Patrick Alvin, uh, I think there has been good reason to think that the Canucks are getting smarter as an organization. They've been much less laughable than they were before. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I still think that they're confronting a difficult situation right now, which is that they think that a team built around Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes should be contending. Well, and they should, right? Because Patterson should. and Hughes are a great place to start. Yeah, that's a 1C and a 1D locked in. They also have Thatcher Demko, who's a very good starting goalie. Mm-hmm. So there are core pieces here that I think are are quite worthwhile. It's just but... everything around them is like not great. And like I don't know. Yeah, I th- if they don't trade Miller this offseason or this this trade deadline, yeah, it's I think that's just a really bad decision. And the thing is, I can sort I can very easily see the world where they're where they don't because they are like in a wild card spot or even in like the third divisional spot at the time. Mm-hmm. And it'll sort of make sense in some ways because it's like, okay, you know, what are we saying to our fans or to our players, you know, if that's the case. But I, I, I feel like, oh, wait, if we know this was to trade JT Miller last off, trade that time. I think they should have done that too, for the record. And you, you look at this team and you say, okay, that has some obvious talent. Yeah. You can easily see how this team would make the playoffs. But if you start counting who are the best teams, even in the Pacific division, the Pacific division is bad. Uh, they're not as good as Calgary or Edmonton. I don't think that they're as good as Los Angeles, even. And I don't um, think they're as good as Vegas. And yeah, and Vegas is hard to evaluate. But yeah, I, I mean, now this team had 92 points last year. They weren't far off. And uh, San Jose and Anaheim aren't going to do shit. I, I don't think Seattle is probably going to make it either. Although they'll, they'll be better. It's just, it will be tough now to be realistic about where they are. And if Alvin comes at this and he's willing to be a little bit ruthless and maybe even dealing Bo Horvat. Um, yeah, Horvat's in the last year of his deal. Yeah. Um, that's, that's gonna, he's their captain as well. Like, yeah, I, I, and he's, he's been through the, the hard times. And he's a good player, don't get me wrong. So, like, I don't think by any means it would be foolish to extend him. Mm-hmm. But th- they'll have some tough choices going forward that they have to navigate to set this team up to really contend around Hughes and Patterson, which right now it's not doing. So yep. definitely a big increase in brain power by getting rid of Jim Benning. It's just there are going to be some tough choices to make this this move forward to next year. Mm-hmm. Speaking of those hard to forecast Vegas Golden Knights, um, what did who did they lose this offseason? They lost Max Pacioretty for nothing. Uh, he was traded to Carolina for the last year of his seven million dollar contract. They lost Evgeny Dodonov for essentially nothing. He was traded to Montreal for the OTIR corpse of Shea Weber mm-hmm. in the last year of his $5 million contract. They lost Matthias Janmark, who signed at Edmonton for 1 by 1.25. So the only, those were the only trades they made, Pacioretty and Dodonov. As it turns out, the salary cap is real. <laughs> um, yeah. They didn't get good value for these guys. Everyone knew they had to get rid of them. They tried to get rid of Dodonov in a way that the league de- deemed to be you know, inadmissible. Um, both Dodonov and Pacioretty are good players. Even if they're slightly overplayed, I'm not even 100% convinced they are. Pacioretty definitely is not overpaid when healthy. Although it's worth noting, after he was traded to Carolina, it was announced that he had a torn Achilles. Mm-hmm. And he's going to be out six months now. Yeah. Carolina can kind of laugh that off because they're going to make the playoffs anyway, in all likelihood. So they just really need him for later. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just saying that we both agree Patch already is well worth this when healthy. He just isn't very often. 
Yes, yeah. Uh, and not very healthy is kind of the running the running theme with Vegas last year and their kind of year from hell. Yeah. Um, so their signings, they signed Phil Kessel for a year and $1.5 million. Yay, I'm glad Phil's still in the NHL. Um, he'll, you know, he'll do Phil Kessel things. He'll go in, he'll score some goals, he'll rack up some assists. He will not see his own blue line. He'll have to be introduced to the goaltender at the end of the year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, in fairness, that's going to be true of a lot of people in Vegas because their goaltending is utterly anonymous. It really uh, is. Um, at present. Yes. So we'll get to that soon. They re-signed Riley Smith, three years, five million. Fine deal. They re-signed Nicholas uh, Roy or Nicholas Wah. I don't know how his name is pronounced. Five years, three million. Uh, this is also fine, possibly good. I mean, I'm not going to pretend I know a ton about this guy. Um, but he's a 25-year-old who had pretty good play drafting results and poor shooting, which is kind of just Vegas as a whole. Um this seems like it could be a good bet. As, as we said, the bar for $3 million is not that high. And like if he just does what he does last year, he is kind of right at that anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think the Knights got a bit unlucky with the timing of items. They traded Pacioretty to get cap compliant. And then they announced that Robin Leonard would miss the entire season due to recovery from hip surgery. This is that foreshadowing about hip surgery that I was that I planted way back when. <laughs> um, so with... You know, with uh, with Leonard on LTIR, they may have been able to keep Pacioretty. Not 100% sure, but with Pacioretty on LTIR, they definitely would have, you know, at least delayed this decision mm-hmm. a little bit further. Uh, so, the, you know, they got a bit unfortunate with, with how, how things played out in that respect. Um, that said, they've used up, you know, enough karma for a few lifetimes, so I'm not really crying any tears for them. The real upshot of this, of the Leonard injury, though, is that their goaltenders next season are Laurent Brossois and Logan Thompson, and that doesn't really inspire confidence. Thompson is the presumptive starter. Um, Brossois also had hip surgery this offseason, so that's not great. great. Um, basically, what this boils down to is the, the Knights have sold their soul and sold the farm to get a bunch of star players. Um, Mark Stone is an example. Alex Petrangelo is an example. Jack Eichel is an example. The problem is those stars haven't been healthy. And in the case of Eichel and Petrangelo, they haven't been as effective as they should be even when they played. Mm -hmm. So if those stars return to form and if Vegas gets good goaltending, this is a really, really good team. Very much so. And I think it'll be easy to forget, but going into last season, people said that they were going to run away with the Pacific Division. Mm-hmm. And I think that they were right to suspect that. And everything possible went wrong. Um, that said, yeah, I think now there definitely are questions. I don't know how good Jack Eichel is going to be. Yes, that's the forward. thing. Like, yeah, and, you know, they're paying $3 million for their goaltenders, and by far the more expensive of that was not very good last year. So right, so like uh, Eichel and Petrangelo, like the fact that they've had bad slash injured seasons, it doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? That impacts what we think of them going forward. I'm more confident in Eichel returning to his usual self than Petrangelo, mostly because of age. But Eichel's injury history is scary. You know, you know, necks, spines, and stuff. That is, like, I don't know, not a doctor, but necks are important. I think. Yeah, Um, you use them a lot in you know like head stuff. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, that's that's that could be rough. That could be really, really, really rough. Um, and, you know, I guess in some ways, I, I would very much like to see Jack Eichel get back to his former self. I think people are underrating how good Jack Eichel was. Mm-hmm. 
he was absolutely amazing um at his like when he was kind of at his best in buffalo i think people feel like he's kind of overrated now um and if he never returns back to that form maybe he will be he'll certainly be overpaid if he doesn't yeah but i mean he's paid to be a franchise center he's been a franchise center in buffalo even though the franchise wasn't worthy of it and now the question is can he still be that and if not yes they are paying him 10 million dollars a year exactly Uh, so yeah yeah, they they missed the playoffs last year it was like super health related no guarantee that gets any better but it'd be hard for it to be worse as you said vegas is kind of a hard team to to project because a lot of it just depends on those star players and their injury health yeah and the injury luck rather i should say if the goaltending can be not abysmal Mm. so i'm i'm like not what happened to new jersey last year basically this should be a playoff team in my opinion it is worth noting they had a murphy's loss season and they were still a bubble team yeah like and so my honest prediction for who are going to take the three seeds in the pacific division are calgary edmonton vegas mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah we'll see they also hired bruce cassidy who you know had good results in boston at least in the regular season so he's a good coach i think so okay the uh, washington capitals so the Washington Capitals lost uh, Vitek Vanacek, uh, who was traded to New Jersey for some picks. They lost Justin Schultz, they lost Michael Kempney, and they lost Ilya Samsonov to Toronto. They acquired Connor Brown, who has a year left at $3.6 million, uh, from Ottawa in a trade for a 2024 second-round pick. Brown is more or less what he was when he left Toronto. He is like a roughly league average player, and his value will be like a little bit above that or a little bit below that in any given year. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that he's fine at yep. that price. He's almost exactly worth that. Yes. <laughs> Connor Brown is the most worth a second-round pick player in the NHL. Yeah. yeah. If you told me a player was traded for a second-round pick, I'm like, it was Connor Brown. Yeah. Like, <laughs> him or someone very similar to him. Exactly. That's fine. Um, The big signing that Washington made is that they signed Darcy Kemper for five years, $5.25 million per year. Uh, he was the best goalie on the market, so this is potentially a big upgrade for them. Uh, the downside is a little bit scary, given Kemper's age and the term of this deal. Kemper is 32. Um, but it's Washington. Washington understands the assignment. They are here to, you know, make attempts at winning games and get Alex Ovechkin some goals. That's it. Right? They, they do not care about years four and five. To a remarkable extent, I, and I mean, I don't think that this is the front office. The front office wants to win. Of course mm-hmm. they do. But the Washington Capitals fan base and... I think even a little bit the team are just sort of like, yeah, like we got our cop. It's mm. fine. We are now an entity devoted to getting Alex Ovechkin the goals record. And that matters more than whether we're really contending, which they're not. No. I don't think. But this this move, I think, gets them at least to be more competitive again. Yeah. If Kemper is as good as he was in the regular season for Colorado last year, Washington is definitely going to make the playoffs and is probably going to surge up. Yes. Um, so they also signed Eric Gustafson from Chicago, one year 800K, met third pair guy, re-signed Marcus Johansson, a year at 1.1 million. Uh, a fine player, not what he used to be. Concussions and other injuries have kind of hurt Johansson's career uh, in, a, in a pretty sad way. Uh, the other deal that they made that I like, and I think Washington has improved, uh, they signed Dylan Strome. Mm-hmm. So he's a solid scoring second line center who has kind of come into his own after a few years in the wilderness. Um in Arizona and in Chicago, both organizations I would not want to be any part of right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this will be helpful, especially because uh, 
Washington is sort of facing this issue where Nick Backstrom and Tom Wilson are injured to start the year. So yes. Nick Backstrom had hip surgery this offseason. Hip surgery so hot right now. Everyone's um, doing it. <laughs> so he'll play at some point this year, probably not immediately. He is... I don't want to say Nick Backstrom is like washed-washed, but he's like approaching the laundry machine. <laughs> well put, yeah. I, I mean, look, the, the end is nigh yeah. for Backstrom. He's got three years left at 9.2, and maybe this is kind of the way it's going. With mm-hmm. Dylan Strom, I wondered if he was going to get overpaid because it was a thin free agency crop at center. Mm. You know, we're looking at, uh, it was Kadri. Um, then a big drop off. Trocheck. Big drop off. So yeah, so Strom and Trocheck were the next tier. And then Sorry, also, I, also Strom. Yeah, both Stroms. Yeah. And, and you know, Dylan Strom played with Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrincat last year. Yeah. And so I kind of wondered if he might get a little inflated. However, at one year at three point five million, he can be a notable step down from what he was last year in production and still be worth that. And yep, absolutely. They, they need him. So yeah. Yes, uh, Tom Wilson also had ACL surgery in the offseason. He is likely out until the start of the 2023 calendar year at the earliest. So basically, Washington is missing two people in their top six Mm -hmm. um, for half the year or more. Um, That creates some real issues for the Caps, who presumably want to do the best that they can to contend. You know, they're they're an old team. Ovechkin and Baxter are the obvious ones, but Oshie is like 35, Carlson is 32, Orlov is 31. Kuznetsov is an old 30. Um... Mantha is 28, so he's like kind of the youngest of their kind of important players. So in a tough division, they're going to have to tread water for a while without two members of their top six. And I think that's one of the big benefits of getting someone like Kemper. He can maybe just give you some ballast to keep you afloat when you're not that great a team. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think I think Washington has improved pretty much. As you said, Caps fans seem to be pretty happy about the team, despite some really uninspiring playoff runs since the cup and that's what winning does i like i think that's that's pretty that's that's a kind of cool thing um they'll be happy to be like kind of respectably competitive and then watch ovi chase the goals record yeah like this is right in the middle of the metro uh is where i would have them so them finishing on either side of the playoff cut line wouldn't really shock me and kemper as you say gives them some potential to rise above that but yeah, as we said, this is an entity devoted to getting Alex Ovechkin as many goals as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yep. All right. Last and least, Winnipeg. Oof. Yeah. They, they, <laughs> I swear, does, does Kevin Chevrolet like have a phone? <laughs> maybe not. Like, maybe he just sort of hangs out and, and does nothing. For a guy who is, I believe, now the third longest tenured GM in the NHL. Um, he does remarkably little. He's very underactive, I would he, say. He's oh, like you could the, say he's patient. He's like Flanders' parents. You know, we've tried nothing, man, and we're all out of ideas. <laughs> um, yeah. In fairness, like he, he's working with a pretty difficult yeah. hand in Winnipeg. Uh, so they lost Eric Carmery, who signed in Buffalo. They lost Zach Sanford, who signed in Nashville. They made no trades. They re-signed Mason Appleton for three years, $2.167 million. They re-signed David Gustafson, two years, seven seventy-five k. Those are both kind of whatever, not really changing their makeup of their team that much. They've re-signed Pierre de Dubois for one year, six million. He'll expire as an RFA. This seems like it's kind of ready for a divorce already. <laughs> yes. Um, Winnipeg has a very fundamental problem of a lot of their good players don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that appears to be coming a cropper again. Yep. Um, 
Dubois made it very clear a long way out. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, Dubois has uh, like been twerking for Montreal. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's been very blunt about it to the point where it's probably hurt his chances because Montreal does not need to be good for a couple years anyway. Yeah. And they're saying, well, why would we pay assets to get you now? You'll come to us in free agency when the time comes. Um, so Pretty yeah, much. I don't know what Winnipeg is doing really in that regard. And they're, they're in a difficult situation. In fairness to Pierre-Luc Dubois, if I had to spend a lot of time with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler, I'd be pretty annoyed too. <laughs> there is a bad vibe around this team, isn't there? There really is. I mean, I don't know, just Shifley and Wheeler. We- Wheeler was very, very good at one point. He was yeah. an elite player in the league. He is no longer that. Mm-hmm. Um, Shifley seems to... Well, first off, he doesn't play defense, which is a problem. Yeah. Um he just seems to complain all the time and like be kind of sneaky, dirty and ratty. Yeah. Uh, like he, he's clearly, he has gifts and whatnot, but I don't know. It's just kind of an annoying player to watch in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, for the record, Shifley has been better than point a game for the past five years. Yeah. He, like he's a very like talented, a very offensive good player. player, but yeah, no, I, I get it. And he gives a lot of it back and if he's your best player, as he now kind of has to be with the decline of Wheeler, how good are you? And I, I think Winnipeg. I don't think he's the their best player. Eaters is right. Eaters is the best player. Okay. I think so. I, 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 I think Eaters is like comfortably their best player. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess um, for to say Shifley's their best player, you have to give full credit for his production. Yeah. And say I don't worry that much about how much he gives away. I think most people would agree that Shifley is their best player, which is, is the problem because yeah, if like. If Shifley is your 1C at this point, I don't think you're you're going to do much. Like when, when they were a contender, he was their 1C, but they were like a pretty they had a pretty great set of wingers and they had a really strong defense. Mm-hmm. And they have neither of those things now. No. There's one little thing that I wanted to note about Eric Comrie, by the way, who was their backup. He was playing quite well, but he was behind Connor Hellebuck. Uh the only reason that Comrie went unrestricted was because Winnipeg didn't play him enough down the stretch to retain his rights. There's a particular rule about restricted free agents where you have to play them a certain amount or they become unrestricted. Comrie was apparently like one game away from that and they decided to stick with Hellebuck down the stretch because they thought they were contending for a playoff spot, although in the end... That didn't end up working out for him. And Comrie was better last year than Hellebuck, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, which is kind of crazy to contemplate. Comrie looked very good in, uh, in 19 games or so. But that feels a little bit like an unforced error. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also note, uh, you know, Paul Maurice just kind of walked out the door uh, on the Winnipeg Jets. He said, you know, like, I don't really want to do this anymore. And now he's the head coach of the Florida Panthers, so... I think Maurice, who is, if nothing else, a rather gifted career survivalist, I guess. Everyone seems to like him wherever he goes. I think he knew which way the wind was blowing in Winnipeg and decided to get gone. Mm-hmm. Um, That's kind of the biggest differential in, like, weather quality. Yeah. <laughs> From Winnipeg to Florida? Especially because well. you don't have to deal with Florida summers. Like, Florida summers are, like, probably as bad in some ways as Winnipeg winters. Yeah. Right, because it's just so, going to be hot and muggy at all, at all times. But, like, Florida winters seem pretty good. You would certainly prefer them to Winnipeg winters, which are among the worst of any city on the planet. Mm. 
Um, yeah, anyway, I, I gotta say, the Jets are in a difficult situation. I thought they did some things that made sense to upgrade their defense last year. Wasn't as successful as they hoped. Uh, Connor Hellebuck looked mortal as opposed to superhuman, and that kind of exposed a lot of limitations on this team. Uh, Wheeler is getting old. They need more than they get defensively from Shifley and Connor. I don't know. Like, this team is in a very difficult situation. They didn't get better. No. They have to make They didn't do anything. About, they didn't do anything. How could they get better? Um, and so now they have a decision to make about Pierre-Luc Dubois. They basically have to trade him. Yeah. Like, but I, also, know, what team is yeah. going to trade a lot for Pierre-Luc Dubois where he's like, like he's going to have a reputation as a bit of a malcontent now? Yeah. And, like, the only way you can conceive of it is if they let them negotiate an extension with Dubois um, before he's traded. Dubois may not want to do that, especially if he's determined to go to Montreal. So, Winnipeg is in a brutal situation. Mm. Um, I don't think that they're a playoff team unless Hellebuck drags them there by himself. And their long-term prospects are kind of dire. They really are. Yeah. I mean, at least Cole Perfetti's good. Yeah. Hmm. So best of luck. <laughs> yep. That's uh that's our survey around the league. I think one thing this is also useful crystallizing is like we're kind of lucky to be Leafs fans in a lot of ways. Though uh, it may feel like it. Yeah, like a lot of these teams are just in like dog shit positions. I. So if you allowed me to do two things, and those two things are, guarantee the Leafs' average starting goaltending and flip them to the Western Conference in place of Colorado, I would bet on Toronto to win the President's Trophy. I can't do those two things, obviously. And there is a very low floor under Toronto's goaltending situation. But they did not get that much worse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they lost Ilya Mikheyev, who was a loss, but all the other good teams got worse too, to some extent. Um, Carolina has some argument that they didn't, but most of the other ones shed some kind of talent. So, you know, the Leafs are not in really a bad position, especially if as things recede a little bit in the Atlantic Division, it becomes a little bit less of a murder pit compared to what it's been the last few years. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think that this survey can maybe make you feel a little bit better about Toronto. I know that it's hard to do without them winning a playoff series, but there is that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, thank you all for listening, for, for staying with us on this overall five-and-a-half-hour ride. Um, <laughs> we will be back uh, closer to training camp to talk about, you know, any other moves the Leafs have made and training camp battles and, you know, start previewing the season. So, uh, once again, thanks for listening to us. You can catch all of mine and Fudelman's work at PensionPanPuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RVNATFudelman. We'll see you soon. <laughs>